Yo, what's the deal, baby? This is your boy, Uncle Luke, and this is a Loudspeaker Network production. Into next, this portion of the Combat Jack Show is brought to you by Bevel, the supreme, superior shaving system known to man. Bevel has been designed for people with coarse, curly hair. Um, it guarantees minimum shave bumps, skin abrasion, razor bumps, or whatever you call it. Listen, go to getbevel.com, G-E-T-B-E-V-E-L.com. Punch in the promo code COMBAT, C-O-M-B-A-T, that's me, for 20% off all of your goods. I shave like a boss. Your peoples across the street shave like a boss. Your girl fucks with everybody that shaves like a boss. So you need to shave like a boss. Go to getbevel.com, promo code combat, C-O-M-B-A-T. And now back to the show. Internets, you are tuned into the Combat Jack Show. The CombatJackShow.com. What's up, A-King? What's good, sir? Yo, man, we got you standing here for uh, Premium Pete until he gets here. Where you at, Pete? No, he's on his he's way. He's still on that yacht. Yo, listen, internets, man. I'm, I'm, I'm really honored. You know, I, I guess I say that every week, man, because we just have some incredible guests that keep dropping by and sharing their, their magnificent, legendary histories, man. But this one right here, I wasn't expecting this. So when I got the call, I made sure that I studied everything about this man's history. Uh, he just wrote a book that's been that's that's now out. It's now out in stores. It's called The Book of Luke, My Fight for Truth, Justice, and Liberty City. Into this, let's welcome to the Combat Jack Show, Mr. Luther Campbell. Uncle Luke, what's up, sir? Hey, man, what's happening? Yo, man, welcome to the Combat Jack I Show. I appreciate being here. Man, this is such an honor. You know, um, I read the book. Oh. I read the entire book from cover to cover, and it's very well written, man. It, it, it's, it captures the emotions that you went through. Okay, good. You it, read you read the book. I you read really the book. read the book. No, no, I'm good. saying like one one of the things that I'm really impressed about is just how astute you've always been politically, you mm-hmm. know, about like race relations and the whole nine and I guess your uncle taught you about that, you know, growing up. Was it Uncle Ricky? Uncle Ricky, yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. So let, let's 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 walk through your history with the internets and and internets, you definitely have to pick up this book because a lot of this material is in the book. Don't feel that you're getting everything because it's not everything. It's just some of the high points. Now, now, Luke, you know, you were born in, in, in Miami Beach, on Miami Beach. Yeah. Which is kind of rare for a person of color to be born in Miami Beach at the time. Yeah, no doubt about that. I mean, uh, during those times in the, in, the, in the 60s, black folks couldn't be on the beach. You know, you had to be off the beach at 6 o'clock. Only thing uh, that was happening at that period of time um, was, you know, people just working on the beach. You know, the maids and things like that. People it was work- crazy segregated like it that. It was it was bad. Right. I mean, it was bad. You know, people run down to South Beach right now. I don't know the history of what was going on. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I guess when they start reading this book, they're going to be like, whoa. What, what made it, what made your family or you so special that you were able to be born on, 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 on Miami beach. Well, that's the, you know, that's the, uh, the, the hidden question that's in the book. You know, I said in there, uh, 
that I don't know how that actually happened. Right. I thought I thought they was doing some kind of experiment. You know, I never got to, God bless my mom's soul, I never got to ask her, hey, <laughs> well, how did that happen? I, I got to go over there and talk to my old man. Like, how did I end up getting born? You know, everybody else was, was born at Jackson Memorial Hospital right. and hear me. I'm at Mount Sinai, where mom, which know, is where t- all the white people were born. Yeah, yeah, all the white people, all the white Jewish people mm. were born at Mount Sinai, and uh, and all the black people were born at uh, Jackson. Mm. You know, which was the the public hospital for everybody. You 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 go into detail, man. One of the things that I really was uh, pleased about is you go into detail just about the history mm-hmm. of Miami, like like Overton, and like just how you know you had th- during segregation. You had thriving black communities. Yes, yes. And once, you know, Miami started to, I guess, once they, they re- realized that the real estate was valuable, they just ran the black people out or destroyed the destroyed the communities. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, people don't even realize islands like, uh, you know, like the Watson Islands and, uh, and different islands over there where people from uh, Will Smith and all these different uh, Oprah Winfrey own homes there. Mm. You know, African-Americans used to own those islands. Back then? Yeah, back then. and uh, In the 40s, the 50s, in the, the 40s 60s? and the 50s, right. uh, Dawson owned uh, a couple islands out there. And I talk about that in the book, that, you know, African-Americans were well off mm-hmm. because the black Bahamians had came over and we really built uh, Miami. And what ended up happening, it was really predominantly black town and uh some of the you know the white guys they decided hey look you know we need to go and get some uh some uh white folks from georgia so they brought in a lot of white police officers mm. in from georgia and then they came and did what they were doing up in georgia and and uh uh putting their values on onto the black folks you know which was you know that's when all the riots and right. start, things start happening and the transformation came and then you know, at that same time, uh, doing that transformation, you know, the white folks said, hey, look, we need some more uh, white, some more people look like us. Mm. And that's when they went and got the Cubans, mm. you know, the white Cubans from the from from the political refugees or the, the cats from 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 uh, Castro's regime. Exactly. Right. The one, no, it, they were actually from uh, Batista. OK, from Batista. Batista, Batista was the president of, of Cuba before okay. Castro overtook right. him. Right. And uh, all those folks were you know the white cubans which then ended up uh in the mario boat lift and they all came over to miami because you know hey look in order to keep control it was just too many blacks in miami it was looking like atlanta or something Mm. like that and and they had to get the numbers right and before you know it you know you throughout years 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 uh they start gradually taking miami away from african-americans even till right now which overtown is is probably between Overtown and Liberty City, they're pretty much the only historical black neighborhoods, and it's a major fight going on right now with city government that these, you know, these same uh, type of people are trying to come in and take those uh, predominantly African American historical areas. Um, tell us, you talk highly about your uncle Ricky. Tell us about mm-hmm. him, man, and, and some, oh, of the, man. Some, some of the things that he taught you at an early age. Yeah, Uncle Ricky, I, you know, uh, and, and I and I speak about it in the book. Uh, Uncle Ricky was, you know, which was, a, I mean, the greatest guy you could ever uh, ever meet. I mean, he was politically motivated. I mean, he, he was a contractor mm. back then. He owned a painting company called Sturp Painting. And one of the only few African-Americans to own a contracting company where he'll be able to bid on different uh, uh, contracts within the city. 
in the county. So he did that. So he experienced racism from a business standpoint, mm. as well as he experienced racism from just being a black man, a black kid walking home and white woman accusing him of whistling uh, and uh, being uh, disrespectful. Exactly. Or rape, all, yeah. rape and all that. So, I mean, he would teach me, you know, we all would go over to his house on the, uh, on the weekend and, and just like I said in the book, he would not let you look at cartoons. Right. He would basically be like, yo, cartoons, they, they just want to uh, have you focus on the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. So he would basically sit there and teach me how to read the newspaper. And then he would teach me also how to look at the news. He would tell me, you know, stuff like it and like, hey, the news, let me, let's sit here and look at the news. And he broke it down like, like how? He broke the news down to the lowest term. To, to the lowest term. I mean, he go, okay, this is how, this is how, you know, white folks work. They're going to take this and they're going to show you how black people are crazy people, buffoons, robbing, killing. That's going to be the top of the news. And mm-hmm. the next part of the news is going to be what country that we want to have a war with mm-hmm. or we're in a war with. You know, back then it was the Russians right. and the Germans right. and, the, and the Japanese. And then they're going to then go from there to uh, the weather or something like that. And after the weather, then they're going to do the sports. And then after the sports, it's going to be white people walking through the mall, sh- holding hands and tulips, like how great it is to be white. <laughs> yeah. and, I, and, I, and so I'm sitting there every weekend like a little kid, like, shit. And then he broke down the newspaper. He said, look, they're writing these stories in the newspaper. To you, it means one thing, but to white folks, it means something different. There's subliminal messages within the, within the news that says, don't go this way right here that you might not get. So we uh-huh. used to sit there and he'd make me read the whole story. What did you get out of that? And then I would say, well, I got, you know, uh, you know, you know, some, this is what I got. I got that the building is condemned and, you know, the people are being moved out now. The building is condemned, being considered condemned because there are a few black families that mm. moved into the building, and now it's being condemned because uh, I'm like, oh shit. Now, when you were learning this as a as a young kid, did you realize how valuable it was, or did you think Uncle Ricky was a little crazy? Well, no, I you know I realized how valuable it was because right. you know once he started introducing me to H. Rap Brown and mm. Marcus Garvey and, and and Malcolm X and. All the different, you know, and, and I'm sitting there listening to Malcolm X tapes. Right. You know, and I'm sitting there listening to these guys speak, you know, and uh, him telling me the difference between X and King and, you know, and the different, all these. So I'm sitting there. That more so told me that he wasn't crazy. Right. You know, when I started look, listening to all that. And then I fully understood what he was talking about as far as the news, you know, and the, and the cartoons being a distraction, you know, and then, you know, breaking down cartoons and all that. I'm like, I don't want to look at that. So I kind of understood it, you know, and it pretty much set me up to being, you know, the the political person that I that I was in hip hop that people didn't think. And as you got older, man, as we as we go through that that turbulent period, which we call, you know, adolescence, that's when you really started seeing like, you know, in terms of like the crime, in terms of like who was getting arrested, in terms of opportunities that were available to you. That's when you saw that. Damn, Uncle Ricky really laid it down for me. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, you know, as I got older, you know, I started seeing these same things that I would hear in the, in the Malcolm tapes. You know, the, the same oppression and the same committing uh, 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 genocide. You know, I started police seeing brutality these things, and police a- brutality, so it never left. Right. You know, it was, okay, you know, getting water holes put back on you and getting shot. 
and getting lynched. And so then now I'm as a kid, I'm 16 years old. And, you know, here you got the McDuffie rise, black man getting shot off a motorcycle. Right. I was like, okay, I'm getting ready to grow up into this here. And then now we're having big riots like right. they had before. You know, so I'm seeing the same thing. History be constantly repeating itself, you know, and then now, you know, remembering the corporate guy, Uncle Ricky, the contractor and things that he had to go through as being a contractor and trying to get certain bids and he would lose these bids and him telling me about this, you know, and working with him and how he was, you know, disenfranchised. Uh, and so now when I'm going into the business aspect, I'm like, okay, I understand this. Mm. You know, I understand everything. And so, you know, I always tell people I was the perfect storm. I was the perfect person to mess with in hip hop. Man, were you angry? Was I angry? Yeah. Uh, you talk yes. you talk about being like a thug and a goon, particularly during high school and like yeah, how, yeah, yeah. how cats knew not to fuck with you or how you had a hot temper. Were you were you an angry person because of these conditions? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, don't no doubt about it. I was a very real angry guy. I mean, I was I was an angry guy, and, and you know, I lived a tough life. You know, for so many years as a kid, I was you know the kid that didn't smile. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? I stayed. You know, I probably had the biggest gang in Miami. You know, one of the biggest ones, and you know, I was the leader of that. Something I wasn't. You know, today as a man, I ain't proud of. You know, we used to disguise it as ghetto, ghetto DJs, but right. really, we were tough guys. You know, we did everything. You name it, from selling weed to, to the whole nine yards. But at the uh, same time, the, the ghetto. You talking about the ghetto style DJs? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you guys really put in that work. Yeah, we put as, in as work. DJs. As DJs, yeah, no doubt about it. We put in uh, work. You know, from the business standpoint, to building our our little company up that we had. And from building that company up to actually start buying team discos and going into, you know, big major buildings and then start promoting concerts, bringing down hip hop to Miami because, you know, nobody was bringing it down. You know, it was a one other guy that did that. But then, you know, we pretty much took over and started bringing all those guys down. So you're DJing at these parks. Yeah. You're DJing at these skating rinks. Yep. Um, and you talk about the pivotal, pivotal thing that changed your perspective on top of what you learned from Uncle Ricky was going down to Washington, D.C. Yeah, yeah. As a young, as a, as a teenager. Yeah, when I got a little wild and out of control, my mom was like, okay, you know, in order to save your life, you gonna, we're going to have to send you to D.C. Right, you had you a know? brother there? Yeah, I had okay. a brother who, you know, he was in the military. You know, he had just got out of the military. And uh, he had this company called Row Incorporated, some strategic aerospace company. You know, my brother, he's he's an astronaut. Right. He always Like blamed. literally, like he yeah. was about to be an astronaut, <laughs> he was about except to be. for his the color of his skin. Yeah, exactly. I talk, I talk about it in the book. They laugh at that part of the story <laughs> that, you know, he called me up like, yo, I was supposed to be an astronaut. They just said, there's no way they could put the two live crew brother in space. Yeah. Oh, it was because of you. It was because of me. <laughs> he, he didn't make it. But right. he, he, he eventually had this company in uh, D.C. And once they moved me there, you know, my brother's straight military right. you know everything it's like go to sleep on time uh for your clothes and all this right and so when i got there i saw african-americans doing different things i was like man what you really hadn't seen like you saw like I'd chocolate city that. yep you saw black doctors and lawyers yep and and professors and and and, and the whole nine exactly i'm seeing black people with suits on just mm. suits and walking around with briefcases and riding in Mercedes and and BMWs and nice now, houses and nice houses. I'm going to neighborhoods. I mean, indoor pools and things like that. I'm like, wow, you know, this it, it kind of opened me up. 
to saying, man, I'm living down here, and it's it's like we're really second class citizens to everybody. So once I once I I learned that, you know, and I talk about it in the book. Once I learned, man, hey, I could be a better person. Mm. I could take this same game down here, and I can be professional. I can, you know, own a company and and do, you know, be professional about it. So I saw things that other people and other black people in Miami did not see. And so my eyes were open from the business aspect, and that's when I went back home. I was like, "Mom, I'm ready. Up, yeah, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to be back home." And that's when I start, you know, with ghetto style. Hey, look, man, we're gonna start doing business. We're gonna own our own company. We're gonna do this. And them dudes was looking at me like, "Huh? What you talking about? Are you tripping? Right? You know, you man, what they did? Got you up there brainwashed? <laughs> I'm like, nah, man. We're gonna be entrepreneurs. We're gonna own our own stuff and do all these different things with this company." Um. What's amazing, what's fascinating, as as a kid growing up in New York, um, I was introduced to hip-hop via, you know, the African band bottles, the Cool Hurts, mm-hmm. and the whole nine. But I, I, I was amazed that to find out that you was DJing around the same time that these cats was DJing in New York. Mm-hmm. Like the Flash, I, like that, because we didn't even know, I didn't know anything about Miami. Right. Like, you know what I'm saying? Because we were so New York centric. Right. But it's fascinating that you were getting your name down there at the same time, like in the late seventies, early eighties. Yeah. And, and and it was just, you know, us, us DJing, do speakers and putting them up in the park, you know, basically the same way, you know, doing the skate rinks, doing the high school dances and all that. I mean, you know, and then, you know, when, when hip hop started getting big, you know, I started bringing acts down. You know, when I start bringing guys down, that's when People is Express. I don't know if you flew on that bad boy. No, nah, I, 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 I heard about People's Express. Yeah. You can get on the plane and pay your ticket on the plane. Yeah. <laughs> I know half, half of your audience re, uh, listening to this right now. So some, no. most, some of them. We got, we, got, we got a devout listener at 70 years old. Oh, good. What up, lady? In the, she'll probably know about People's Express. Yes. What up, lady in the blue? But um, so you hear Rapper's Delight. Right. And you're like, oh shit, this is going in a different direction. Mm-hmm. I'm here in Miami, but I got to, I got to get a piece of this. Yeah. And you start bringing acts mm-hmm. to 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 Miami. Yeah. Like the the Run DMCs, T. Rock. The first person you brought down was uh, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. Doctor Jekyll, Mister Andre Harrell. Yep, 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 yep. How how would it? How was a young Andre Harrell in Miami back in the day. Oh, right? Just like any other artist. That's why I laugh at him right now today. <laughs> yeah. Man, you act like you're a corporate. You was just like any other one. Stop of these, playing, right? One of these artists running around, you know, trying to get every girl that you can get, grab every, any skirt that you can grab. <laughs> you talk about bringing a young Run DMC down. Yeah, yeah. Like one of the, like before they were big. Before they were big. I remember sitting up in, uh, it was the Howard Johnson Hotel. Yeah. You know, I had brought him down and, and and put him up at the Howard Johnson Hotel and and paid him five hundred dollars the first time the first exactly and they sat there and they said man we're gonna be big you ain't gonna be able to pay us five hundred dollars no more Luke <laughs> I'm telling you man we get ready to make twelve hundred dollars mm. I'm like really man y'all go so y'all gonna leave me like that and they were like yeah man we get ready to go big and from that point on they did went go they went crazy big but what made you go from bringing acts to actually getting into the business of breaking records. Well, one thing every act had in common, all the things that they all had in common, they all came when I brought them down and they complained about the record companies not paying them. Right. You know, and so, you know, Two Live Crew was no different. They came down, 
They complain about, you know, oh, man, we're not getting paid. But They were from L.A. They were from L.A. Right. And they were in the Navy they at were, the yeah. time. And so, you know, no, not the Navy, but the Air Force. The Air Force. And, uh, you know, they came down at the right time because I had, you know, in my DJ group, we, you know, what made us, separated us from the other DJ groups, we used to make up dances. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one of the dances we made was ghetto jump. Mm-hmm. We would make everybody in the crowd just jump up in there and do something crazy. And then, uh, I, you know, I asked some rap guys, local guys who was doing something. Hey, man, make a song right here. About to get old jump. They asked me, to, can they make a song? I said, okay, well, the same deal applies to you that applies to everybody else that I bring down. Because my deal was I get your record in the record pool, mm-hmm. and I, I would then listen to it if I found that, it, that I think that it was a hit. I would then play it for like a month. And then let you know, hey, look, I'm going to bring you down free. I'm going to break your record down right. here. I'm going to make you hot. Right. So then Two Live Crew is one of the groups that did that. And so these guys ended up doing the, doing the song, and then they wouldn't do a free show for me. Right. And I was like, okay, y'all don't want to do a free show. And so at that time, Two Live Crew had came down and did a makeup show mm-hmm. for those guys okay. there for me. Right. And uh, I said, look, man, I got another record called Throw the D. Cause, Throw the D. Yeah, I created a dance in the dance called Throw the D. You know, the girls would throw the P and the guys would throw the D. And, and then I said, I need y'all to do this song right here for me. And they did that song. And I said, okay, well, let's go, you know, to one of these local record companies and try to get a deal. Right. And everybody closed the door, turned out, no, we don't do no rap here. We do dance. We do Trenere. We do, you know, Debbie Deb. And we don't do that. You know, my homeboy, Pretty Tony and all them. And I'm like. Really, man, y'all tripping like that? Y'all don't know? know that it's about the dance and it's about the bass and exactly. And, you, and, and talk about the bass, man. What is the origin of the Miami bass? Uh, it's it's it comes from the Caribbean background that I have. I mean, uh, your dad Jamaican, mom Bahamian. Bahamian, right? I live in Miami. It's all up tempo. It's congas. It's tom toms. It's the Haitians. It's the Cubans. It's the, Haitians, it's the, whole the Cubans. You know, and it's. It, the music, you know, when I got with Mr. Mix, you know, we recreated everything. I'm like, yo, it has to be from here. You know, right. we can't, we're not going to do what these guys are doing in New York or what they're doing in Philly or anywhere else. It has to be, has the Miami feel to it. Because other than that, we'll be playing ourselves. We can't act like, because, you know, a lot of guys back then was from different places. Everybody was sounding like New York. And they were wanting to talk like New York, act like New York. I'm like, look, them guys got their thing, uh, and that's their thing. You got to respect that. We got to do what we do around here. And that's why, you know, we, we didn't. Okay, the music, up-tempo, we, everybody here like bass, and that's what we like. And so it became the sound that people of Miami was proud of. And people would be able to, you know, young folks going back to college, they would take their 12-inch, okay, I got my Miami, my group. This my group from the crib because right. everybody else was shouting out, oh, I got my group from uh, Philly. I got my group from New York. And so just imagine going to a historical black college, and now you could go up to the turntable and say, play my, play my Miami. Play my Miami. Play these Enjoy. Miami niggas right yeah, here. Exactly. <laughs> and so now that's basically how the music starts right. spreading. And uh, and that's that's how it became uh, big. I had no idea that number one, the Two Live Crew was a West Coast group. Number one, and number two, they was on some conscious rap. Yeah, they was on that conscious, like you know, like some public enemy type yep, shit. Yep, yep. And you knew that in Miami, this you know this might be good for like whatever, but this ain't gonna move the crowd. No, no. The the thing about uh, 
two live crew. It was two sides of, of the album. It was the, the, the single. It was Yuri V. Light on one side, and it was Fresh Kid Ice on the other side. And so Fresh Kid Ice, on his side of the record, he did a song called Beatbox. Mm-hmm. And that was more of a Miami beat, beat, beatbox. Right. And then had like a little, it was like a party joint, but it was a little slow. We had to speed it up as a DJ to get it up to the tempo that we needed for Miami. But it had a little bit of bass in it. And on the other side, it was, you know, uh, Yuri, you know, Yuri yeah. was from uh, Brooklyn, and uh, Chris was from Brooklyn as well. Okay, I didn't know that. So the original, yeah. like the cast was from Brooklyn, and then two live crew. Yeah, wow, yeah, yeah the Did you Chinese know that guy. I didn't know that. Yeah, this is crazy. Yeah, yes, the Chinese. He's guy. a Brooklyn cat. He's from Brooklyn. Yo, so yeah, yeah. so you convinced them to do party raps. Exactly. Right. And so Yuri said, "No, nah, I don't want to do that." Right. You know, I he was, was like, a proud Brooklyn cat. He was a proud. He was. Straight up proper. Right, 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 right. You know, right. Mix was from California. Okay. Mix is from Riverside. So Mix, you know, being the producer, he was a little more open to to it. And Chris was like, whatever. You know, and uh and and so when you ended up, you know, Mix, hey look, let's go mix, let's cook this thing up and and uh we're gonna change it because me and Mix had a had a bond that, you know, he liked the Leroy Skillet, Unester and Dolomite and all okay, those kind of okay. uh, songs. I was like, Mix, we we can't do what everybody else doing, right. sampling James Brown and all those. Uh, we we got to sample some other stuff. So Mix was like, Well, we let's do Dolomite and mm. Leroy Skillet and Unesta and and uh, and all these people. We're gonna put the cussing in there. I'm like, Okay, yeah, let's do that. So when they we did throw the D, it was you know we can't throw that dick. Right. And right. and the song started <laughs> off with Dolomite on there. You know, and so that made us different because the whole thing was being different, not being like, you know, somebody else. Throw the D becomes a local hit. Mm-hmm. Um, and you become a part of the group, right? Mm-hmm. And you're like, we can't get this deal. Let's put it out ourselves. Well, I didn't, I, 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 my, I never, my intentions was never to be in a group. Okay. You know, uh, how I ended up getting in the group, like I say, you know, I didn't want to have nothing to do with the record. I wanted to just get these guys a deal and, you know. Keep hey, it moving. Y'all keep it moving. So be it. I didn't want to be no manager. I wanted to be Al Heyman. That was my right. hero. Al Heyman. You know, I looked at Al Heyman. He did all the big concerts, yes. the fresh festivals. You know, him and uh, uh, Ricky Walker. And right. I wanted to be this big concert promoter. Okay. Because I'm doing it on a lower level. I, my goals would have been doing it in arenas and things like that. So that's what... My focus is on, you know, and, and when people start turning me down with these guys and we're like, nah, we won't see this. This ain't going to make it. This, you know, that's how I got into the business. Right. That's how I ended up saying, okay, fine. I'm a, I put this out myself. So I took my little money that I raised up, you know, from doing uh, the dances and then I start pressing the records and putting them out and giving them to DJs. And before you know it, it, it took off. Right. And. You know, you talk about even at a young age when most cats was looking for record deals, mm-hmm. you realize, you know what? I'm going to own my own shit. Yeah. I mean, when the, the thing is, in Miami, it was no such thing as hip hop. Right. In the South, it wasn't no Atlanta. It wasn't no Houston. It wasn't nowhere to take a Southern hip hop song. You know, so, you know, you couldn't take it to New York. That was nowhere in the world. You right. know, no A and R guy right. gonna be like putting no. And, we, and, and to be, to be honest, on. we wouldn't get it. No, you wouldn't get it. I mean, it was a subtle difference between what Africa Bambada was doing with Planet Rock mm-hmm. and what y'all was doing. 
But still, what made it cool for Africa Van Bada, because he was from New York. Yeah. You know, we were too close-minded to have the same shit coming from Miami at the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and songs like that, you know, African Bambada, you know, original concept, mm-hmm. songs like that. The bass. That bass inspired us. Wow, you said you original know? concept. Uh, yeah, I miss you. Uh, no, no, I remember them cats. <laughs> it's yours. Do- Dr. Dr. Dre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The ri- like the fat Dr. Dre. The fat Dr. Dre. Right. Yeah, and, and those type of songs, I mean, Jazzy J, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it's, the It's Yours song. That you remember mm. bass in that? Yes, that was crazy yeah. bass. That to me, to me, that was the first bass song. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm as a DJ, I'm spinning this. You know, I needed the bass because we were battle. It wasn't mixing and stretching. It was more who got the deepest bass, who got the most bass bands, the most speakers. So we needed. So I would have to go and look for all these songs. So. When I had that, it's yours. It's yours. It Tila Rock and, and oh, man. oh my God. You remember all that? And, but you know what? It's so funny that you say that, man, because Tila Rock in New York revolutionized hip hop in one way because that opened up the door for Def Jam. Mm-hmm. It opened up the door for, for LL Cool J and a whole nine. But here you are telling us it opened up the, the door for, for, for bass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tila Rock, I, I don't know how many times I brought him to mind. Oh, that's crazy, man. Yeah. And he yeah. would tear it up. He would he would tear it up. I mean, he would tear it up and then, you know, then you got the Mantronics and all yes, those Yes, Mantronics. Because it became electronic and mm-hmm. that music became, you know, you could speed that up and 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 people in Miami would love that. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, it it was crazy. I mean, then then, you know, you had the Schoolie D's of the world. Schoolie D, which is from, all bass. Which was from all Philly. Bass, Philly. Philly, what up? <laughs> exactly. So I'm bringing all these artists down then. And uh, again, everything, everybody had the same thing. We ain't getting paid. We right. getting screwed. Right. And uh, like I say, when I then ended up, how I ended up in the two live crew was the guys were like, man, we need you to uh, c- come in the group and just do your DJ thing. Because I was like a. I was like the Afrojack of Miami. Okay. You know what I'm saying? I'm the most popular DJ right. in the whole entire state. Right. You know, I can go anywhere and just put 5,000 people in a room and just- And turn it up. And turn it up. You know, so they wanted me to do the same thing, you know, in the in the in uh, in their shows right. that I did there. So once I ended up, okay, I'll do a couple times and, you know, that'll be it. And before you know it, I ended up stuck in the group. And then I, you know, start creating more songs. You're telling them to create more records. Yeah. And now you're distributing your own records. Exactly. Because what I would take is the songs that the break beats that we would play, like I would play mass production, mm-hmm. the breakdown of that. Right. And, you know, uh, Confunction Confunct- and, right. and Barcades and mm. different, you know, and I would, okay, mix uh, mass production. I just saw a movie, Full Metal Jacket. The girl said, me so horny. Let's take that in. And now we never did know what that mass production joint. Let's put that on there, mm. and and mix would cut it up, c- cook it all up, and then we just go and tell the guys, "Hey, look, here's the story. You sing this about that. You sing this about that, and let's ride." And were they open to it? Yeah, they they knew it was going to work. They, they they trusted you. Everybody, yeah, right. they they trusted me. I mean, we had a formula, you know, when I was you know with the two live crew, we had a formula. Everybody respected, you know, the process. You know, I would come in and. Hey, Mix, let's uh, do this right and then Mix, you know, it, it would be almost like Christmas because you just wanted to wait to hear wait, wait to, you knew Mix. Up. Yeah. You, you talk about how, you know, a lot of people didn't have the opportunity to work with Mix, but you working with Mix, you would give him the idea, mm-hmm. you would give him a sample, and he would cook it up. Oh, man, he would go crazy. I mean, he do it, it, it would be almost like a dinner. Right. You know what I'm saying? You say, hey, man, we're going to have yams and, and corn on the cob. 
Uh, and then mix it in, add the cornbread, you add the roast, you add everything and all the flavors. And when you come and you, you'll see this big dinner, it'll be like, damn. Yeah. And he you, never, he never failed. And he never failed. Right. And, and he, and you know, to me, he's the most underrated producer ever. I mean, he should mix. I mean, because two live crew was so controversial, I guess so many people didn't work with him, you know, uh, and it was so, it was so local. Yeah, you know, because in New York at the time, I like to say that the first uh, hip hop super producer was Larry Smith because oh, okay. he was doing all the records up here, like the Run DMCs and right. the Houdinis and the whatnot, the 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 Curtis Blows. But then now and there, it was mix is mix. creating that whole in, uh, industry. Yeah, mix mix created the whole whole sound and everything. I mean, and you know, that's why when people say, "Oh man, y'all Miami, Miami," no, we 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 started hip hop in the South. We ain't just Miami. It was nothing. Right. It was a desert until, you know, we cooked, we started up, you know, with the business as well as the sound. And, you know, and then you had Lil John then started mm-hmm. doing bass, mm-hmm. you know, everything because, you know, when, you know, Jermaine Dupree was out, he was trying to be Puff Daddy. He was trying to be, a new, he was in New York. He was in New York. He started in New York. Exactly. You know, so, and, you know, he had this little div- division, this bass division because that's booty, you know, everybody thought what bass was, that, what was, was it called? So, so basser. So, yeah. Exactly. So everybody, you know, it was like, oh, we, we're not booty. We're we're commercial. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know, so everybody kind of like, you know, was kind of shying away from it. But at the end of the day, you know, he didn't start doing his version of it, which was which was uh like R&B of it. And then you ended up having us doing what we were doing. And then other guys, 95 South, doing it in Jacksonville mm. and all over the state. And then now you got the Petey Pablos of the world. And everybody just now started to pop off. But, but you were the ground zero of that shit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know what's fucked up, man? You talked about how when you were promoting New York acts in Miami, they all loved you. Mm-hmm. Right? But now the two live crew gets a buzz. And you start going on the road with some of these cats. And now the same cast that you was putting money in their pocket, they're looking at you like, man, you ain't from, like, your shit is corny. Like, Yep, yep, yep. You ain't from, nah, y'all shouldn't be in the business. I mean, I remember, you know, and I talk about in the book, doing shows with Airbnb, Rakim, mm-hmm. and they would give us about that much stage. <laughs> like this couch, the, like the this couch. little love seat. Exactly. And, you know, they would have all these, you know, uh, equipment behind it and they would, you know, oh, y'all got five minutes. Five minutes. You know, because the headliner controls how many minutes. Right. All the other guys and, what the fuck, yeah, you know, so I'm like, five minutes? What are we going to do? And I mean, it started, it, it became. Like y'all would have fights, right? These niggas ain't hip hop. Right. You know, these niggas ain't hip hop. Oh, man. That we became. Them, niggas nah, still niggas, say that shit, though. Yeah. Niggas still say that shit. Like, yeah. this ain't hip hop. These niggas ain't hip hop. Yeah. You know, and so that's what they, they were saying that. And then it became, then you remember the Red Man uh, album? Yes. Where it was like, what's up, dog? What's up, dog? Making fun of oh, they was making, Southern guys. Right, right, yeah, right. if you listen to it. Okay. He would be like, yeah, them dudes from down south, them country Bama ass niggas. What's up, dog? What's up, dog? What's up, dog? And so it'd be amazing. I'd be hearing, you know, what's up, dog became a common uh, uh, slang. This. I would come to New York and dudes would be like, yo, what up, dog? <laughs> and you'd what be up, like, fuck you, motherfucker. Yeah, <laughs> I'd, la- I'd be laughing, right. you know, because I... I my mind is, you know, I don't judge one individual or two individuals right. the whole town. You know what I'm saying? Because at the end of the day, what what amazed so many people and the deals that I did do in the music industry, I did because I, and people don't know this, my number one selling market was never Miami, never 
Nothing in this. It was New York. It was New York. New York people were buying. Exactly. They were buying. They were buying more Luke, more Two Live Crew, more anything that I put out than anywhere in the world. And you knew that. And I knew that. And you knew so that. So I would be sitting there laughing. These motherfuckers don't know. Right. You know, it's just like that because the, the the people here just love me. So what you might say, uh, oh, ain't hip hop, uh, salt and pepper. A kid and play get on TV and say, "Man, these motherfuckers in hip hop and they did." And you talk about kid and play, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Exactly. Right. You you told us one amazing story though about um, Run DMC. Right. The same cats that you was bringing down to Miami, and now they see how hot you are. They telling you you not New York. You opening up for them. You arguing with their their, their road manager. Yeah. And they give you. It was Leo Court. It was Leo. Yeah. Tell, tell, tell us about that. Like. I mean, that was, I mean, you know, like I say, I, I talk about it in the book. Yeah, yeah. It was Gulfport, Mississippi, mm. where we were at. And, uh, you know, we went there to do a concert. And, you know, I'm like, that was the first time we performed with them. You know, because they used to put us on these shows because our records were like the number one selling records in these markets. Right. These guys had these big tours already going on. And they would be like, oh, well, we got to add the two live crew to this because... Their record is really number one record selling right. in this market. So, yeah, this tour is great, but this is what's going to take it over the top. And so, you know, uh, they ended up putting us on that show in uh, Gulfport. They gave you three minutes. Three? Said, what the fuck do you do with three minutes? Exactly. Luke? They said three minutes. And I went and I got so pissed off. You know, you got this, you know, you got this guy, you know, uh, I don't know where the fuck he's from. You know, Talking to out. Spooky, yo, yeah, you only yeah. have three minutes. Yeah, you got three the, minutes. The fuck the two life crew. You yeah. The fuck, this is Run DMC. <laughs> exactly, this Run House, this <laughs> Run Show. You got three minutes, that's it. Fuck that. You can't do nothing with that. I'm like, you tripping. You, you can't do nothing with and that. And this me, right? I'm making this conversion of getting my life in order. Because right. I got that other side of me that... Like you want to pull out the yapper. Yeah, yeah, and I got it. And I got it. I'm still I still got it. Yes, Lou. Yeah, it's on me. It's, yes. You know, the tools are in the car. Mm -hmm. It's like this. Y'all some tripping. southern cats. Y'all y'all know what that gun exactly. play is, right? So what what blew my mind was what blew my mind was this young group that I saw that I never saw a white guy. You know, I always saw that manager. He always had a black guy manager. I forget what the manager's name was. But then now they got big, and now this white guy speaking mm -hmm. on behalf of them. Mm -hmm. So that kind of and being disrespectful and being disrespectful. So that kind of fucked me up, right? right? I was like, okay, well, you know, I guess that's what happens when you get big, right? And so you know, it just pissed me off. I was like, nah, nah, he tripping, right? I said, we're gonna do this in mix. We got three minutes. This is what we're gonna do. We're gonna fucking uh, you gonna turn the uh, shit on. You gonna cut Peter Piper. For three minutes. And you did Peter Piper. We did. We did a damn motherfucking song. So I went out there and was like, okay, ladies and gentlemen, Run DMC manager just told us because they're uh, the headline. I told the crowd, this is like 15,000 people sold out. Damn. They told us we don't have but three minutes. You know, we got this song, this song, this song, this song that we would love to sing for y'all. Mm. And they're they screaming. they screaming, fuck Run DMC, fuck nice. Run DMC. Nice. This the South bitch. You know what I'm saying? Before, you know, I was like, we're going to do this right here. The tribute to Run DMC since they want all this shit. And he just fired that. It's Peter Piper, Big Piper, Peter Piper, Peter Piper, Peter Piper. <laughs> and Mix was a trick DJ. Right. So Mix would do it with his dick, do it like this, do mm. it with his mouth, do it over Pulse. here, do it with his elbow. He was like, he was, man, them dudes ran up to the stage. 
on the stage. Man, you can't do that shit. So it became okay. police came on yeah. stage. We were wow. like, okay, bring that shit on. You, you shut it down. Yeah, you we shut, shut it, down. it down. The people just lost it for yeah. man. You know, you you were smart too, man, because it wasn't just y'all that was that was that was getting uh disrespected by New York. Mm-hmm. You talked about having to actually do the quote unquote chitlin circuit with other groups like say NWA yep. and cats that weren't from New York. Yep, yep. I mean, we all at at that period of time, we just like you say, we got pushed in, into the back. It became me, uh, uh, NWA, uh, some other group, some some other groups. Uh, anything out of Philly, <laughs> you know? Right. We would get pushed. EST and EST, all that stuff like that. We would get pushed on on tour together. Schoolie D every now and then. Uh, some other cats out of California, whether it was Egyptian Lover mm. or something like that, you know. So we would all get, you know, it was Pac. Pac wow, young got, Pac, really? Yeah, he was with Digital Underground. Right? How was how was that, man? How was it being on the road with, with traveling with Pac? Man? Oh, that dude, there. Yeah, he stayed in my room every, really? every night. He would be on the floor. <laughs> he he was he just wanted to know. Right. He just wanted to know, and, and the connect that me and him had was because he, you know, he had that Black Panther in him. Mm-hmm. So we would just sit down all night after a show and just and talk that. Be black, like that Leo Cohen, man. <laughs> Watch that New York Cohen. Watch exactly. that tall Israeli. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and so it, I mean. We we had a a lot of kind of like like easy me right. and easy used to sit there and be like yo man it's fucked up so people don't even realize that back then the East Coast West Coast thing was brewing up then before it became Biggie and and Pop right it was it was those things were happening because we had got shitted on so bad you know what I'm so saying? y'all and had all was, that pent up it was it was it was backed up right. I mean we had we we got pushed on the chitlin circuit. Mm. You know, anytime it was time to do a fresh festival, we couldn't get on those dates. Right. You know what I'm saying? Ricky Walker and all these guys, we couldn't get on on none of those Buckwiser Superfest. We would throw in the in the garbage because we, we wasn't hip hop. Right. You know, and so you all worked? those Damn. years and so now once the California guys got on, once we got on and and now it became a little even then these guys have a voice, that's when the shit hit the fan. Right. It was like, yo, this, this, and this, and that, and this how we feel about y'all. Now we getting this shit even now, and and uh, and that's what a you know it was a big spillover. So you start your label, mm-hmm. uh, Luke Records. Yep. Um, it's Luke Skywalker and the, and the two live crew. Right. Right. Um, and you selling records. Yeah, they coming. Them selling them all over the place. You making money? Yeah, hey, out the back door, out the out the woodshed. First year, like what, seven hundred and fifty thousand, yeah. something like that, right? Yeah. Um, you're on the road with like the Fresh Prince and and, and Jazzy Jeff and, yeah. and Rakim and them, and they like, yo, what kind of label is Luke Records? Yeah, yeah. But and you're laughing at them because you're like, yo, you're signed through so and so through Columbia or Sony yep. or Universal. Yeah, y'all might be going platinum, but I'm making more money than y'all. Exactly. I mean, I remember that trip. Uh, you know, and I talk about it in the book. We were going to Chicago. We right. was on they. Gave us this old bus. We went from Indiana <laughs> to Indianapolis to Chicago. We was on this like three day tour, and so we all on the bus. You know, at the beginning of the bus ride, it, it was it was more like uh, like we don't fuck with them niggas. Right. You know, we was like we was like the dudes sitting in the front of the bus, the ones that you don't fuck with. So eventually, as the days went on, we you know start talking and talking and and what label y'all on? Oh, Luke Records. Man, what the fuck is that? Yeah, so it we fucking a with joke. Def Jam. We fucking yeah, with Rush. We over here. We over there. And I'm like, really? 
uh, how much money y'all making? So then it became, whoa, okay, let's talk. So then it became these big meetings around the campfire. You know, after the show and before the show, you doing what? Merchandise. We selling merchandise. We own our yeah, merchandise. Because they were selling merchandise. They didn't own their merchandise. Winterland. Winterland. They were signed through Winterland. Exactly. I said, right. see that shit that y'all selling right there? And, you know, I used to break it down to them because after a while, you know, at the beginning it was a joke. But then at the end of the day, the joke became more nil. Right. Because I'm like, how much you make from Winterland? Oh, we make $1,200. And they, how much they sell a t-shirt for? Oh, $25. Okay, well, you see this big old crate right here I got up under this bus? I said, these are our T-shirts. Mm. I made the T-shirt for $2. And I'm selling it for the same amount. So to make that $1,200 that you just that you just got, you know, the man ain't got to sell but probably 100 shirts, if that. Mm. And he just made that $1,200 back right there. So now when I leave out here, I said, what I'm doing right here, you see the other members of the 2 Live crew, we cut a deal. Y'all can have all the show money. All I just want is the merchandise ah. money. So I'm sitting up there on the bus uh, counting my money. <laughs> yeah, I just made 15 grand tonight. These motherfuckers are like, what the fuck? So right. then we got into the conversations about the, the difference in the, in, the, in the manufacturing the records and how much money you make on the record. And so I kind of like broke it down to them dudes. was like, yo, y'all making this amount. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm manufacturing a record for a dollar and 19 cents. Wow, no royalties, no. Exactly. At the time you talked about, uh, I think it was Run, D, Run DMC, or one of them acts, they was getting 10% yeah. royalty, and you was getting 100%. I'm getting 100%. Right. Yeah, so I'm sitting there telling them. Are they believing you? Yeah. Yeah, they, they, they were believing. They see the money. They was, they was they, you know, again, they came down a couple times, and then they seeing the money, and then they start seeing jets and shit. Mm. You know, because I'm like, yo, I'm going to be off this bus in a minute, yeah. <laughs> you know, because my brother, again, he owned this company uh, and he owned it a bunch of jets because right. he was a Navy pilot, you know. And so he was like, yo, I got a jet here that's sitting around. You could just pay the, pay the, pay the rent on it, you know, every month, <laughs> yeah. you know, and you could have it. And, and so we getting hotter and hotter. And, right. Oh, shit. I could do two a days. I could do a date over here and then we could fly and do another date that night. So we yeah, give me a jet. It became <laughs> cheaper. It became cheaper to, to have your own jet. Yeah, so one time I ended up uh, booking Public Enemy to do a concert in uh, Miami, and I had Public Enemy and uh, Run DMC and some other acts, and they were in. They were already booked in Atlanta doing a daytime event. So I was flying them back and forth, and they were like, "This motherfucker really, uh, he's really doing it. He's really doing it." And, and what's crazy is you're getting paid as a, as an artist. Mm-hmm. You're getting paid as a promoter. Yep. You're getting paid as a label owner. You're getting paid from the merchandise. What, what Publishing. You're getting paid for all of that shit. All that. All yeah. that. I mean, I did commercials. Right. Like, I be looking, I be laughing at the the, the, the Rockaway and the Sean John commercials and stuff. I'm like, yeah, I was the first one to do that. Mm. I did commercials way back then, put them on BET. You know, like, oh, took stores and just put clothes in the mm. stores. You could buy a Too Black, Too Strong t-shirt. You could buy the Luke jacket. Mm. You could buy this and all that. The Everything. scarves. You had the, the scarves. scarves right? Yeah, I put the scarves on the University of Miami mm-hmm. football players, and they were running around national TV. Everybody wanted a scarf, and I had my shit on, and I, it became... Look, we selling everything, you know, and everybody wanted to buy the merch. To this day, right now, people buy that merchandise. You know, you talk about when things really got hot for you, you made a choice to stay independent. And you talk about, like, not really being disrespectful, but you talked about how Russell was in a position to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And he took that deal with Columbia, and you would have never taken a deal like I that. I would have never taken a deal. Right. And he said that to me. Right. He said, afterwards. Afterwards. Right. He said, man, if I if I would have did 
what you did, dude, I would have had, dude, I'd have made so much money. Mm. He would have been a billion, like, like a billionaire easily. He'd have been, he'd have been, he'd have been bigger than Brunson. Right. Easy. Wow. You know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, the virgin guy. Right. He'd have been, I mean, and he said. Branson, that. right. Yeah, Branson. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he was like, yo, man, if I did that, if I had the balls to do what you did, I'd have, man. And, and so all these guys always looked at me like that. They always looked at, if I had the balls to do what he did, you know, unfortunately I was put in that situation. Right. Like, you know, the what, doors weren't opened up for you. No, nah, I couldn't take a record, you know, and, but uh, the good part about it was that, you know, because they, people didn't realize that they manufactured records in different regions of mm-hmm. the com- country, like in New York, they would manufacture the records in Jersey to cover New York, Philly, and all these other areas. And then California, they would manufacture the records in outside of LA. And so in Florida, they would manu- in Florida they would manufacture records for the Caribbean islands. Mm. And the Caribbean islands they sold the records for less money. So it was cheaper. So it was it was half cheaper. <sighs> so I I'm manufacturing the same places that Sony is manufacturing. But you're right there. I'm right there in Miami. Right. Just I'm manufacturing. I'm a country records. bumpkin. Like let me get there. Yeah, man. I'm, and then it, it was it, it was one pressing plant that was going out of business. I kind of like really took over. Mm. So it was like this pressing plant named Gabor. It was just him and his little wife. And he was like, you know, I was like, look, man, was, I'm making some records. He was like, well, you got to come work in here. Okay. <laughs> so I'm like, no problem. <laughs> so I'm in there pouring the, the vinyl the, in there. The, the, the shellac? The, what, uh, the, the vinyl. vinyl. Wow. Yeah, I'm pouring the vinyl in the, in the machine. I'm making the records, getting the stampers, getting new stampers, putting new stampers on, you know, uh, cooling them off. I, I became so I I knew how to make the from, actual from soup records. to nuts, man. Soup to nuts, put them in the box and then take them to the UPS, ship them out, and there it is. That's crazy. So initially, when y'all start, y'all are doing the dance records, the mm-hmm. Luke Skywalker and the, and the Two Live Crew. Y'all doing the dance records. What brought in the sex? What brought in the women? Like what shifted? You talk about tootsies, your right. experience at tootsies, but what was it that was like? You know what? I could really bring chicks to this thing well it, i mean what what brought the more of the sex you know became the, like i say the throw the d and then we was okay we gotta do an album then it became like i say you know the the i had some white boys security guys who used to work you know damon and rocco they used to work the door at the teen disco for me so you know across the street they had the tootsies club it was the little tootsies now it's the biggest club in the southeast strip club right. i guess they blew up too so they took me over there and they were like yo man once i was like man black people don't go in strip clubs no 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 so really we, yeah i was Y'all, like, there was no strip there was no strip clubs no it was no strip no clubs. black strip none, clubs. none that was, nothing you looked at a strip club like these are the motorcycle guys going up in there i'm like they were like look man you see how big we are you ain't got to worry about nothing so they basically introduced me to the, you know, the strip club, I went in there, I was totally amazed. And I was like, man. Amazed at, like, what? That people were spending so much money? People spending money, girls dancing naked. Girls doing know? this. Exactly. Right. So that was my first time seeing that. And so then I go back over there to the teen disco. Now I make a song, Ghetto Nasty. Another dance where everybody humping on each other and everything. And, and before you know it, the girls start dancing like that. And then him seeing that he was like man and you right ain't no black strip club so then they these guys then got creative and started opening up black strip clubs mm. and before you know it i then took the the, the dancing girls i took it, it be, before they opened the clubs up when i started doing the videos 
I had the videos and the girls dancing in the videos and I would take, you know, because all the girls weren't cute. Right. I would take, take the, the model. Faces. Yeah, I'd take the model chicks and shoot their face and then shoot the, <laughs> shoot the other girl's uh, ass, right? right? Right. And so then it's like, damn, Luke got all these fine chicks on the video. And then, I, again, like the Nassis wannabe album. Right. All those girls weren't cute. Right. You know, that's Which is why, why you I saw them, the asses. That's all you saw was asses right. <laughs> pointed that way. So it was about, you know, uh, the sex in, in, the, in the music and the look. And it was about where we were from. It right. was a product of our environment. Everybody walking around in bikinis. It's all sex. People top down. You know, and that's what they did down in Miami. So as we started doing more parties, you know, and doing more concerts, and then we then added dancers. So we added the male dancing guys and the girl dancing guys. Mm. Girl I, didn't, I didn't know you had the male dancers. Yeah, it was. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. No good, but so good. One right. of my artists. Okay. They were all dancers. They were the male dancers of the group. Right. You know, if you look at the Move Something video, you'll see them in there. You know, and so we had guy dancers and girl dancers. And before you know it, we just say, okay, we'll do these girls here. And then that's when people start opening up black strip clubs. And that's when it that's when this shit really went to the next level. It went to the next level. And then I then started using the girls at a strip club. Right. You know, and I would, you know, tell them, hey, look, work the camera like you working some unattractive guy. Mm. And so they would look into the camera because, you know, we took, you know, and I talk about it, we took like University of Miami because we ain't had no production house. Mm-hmm. You can shoot anywhere in Miami. Right, right now you need Everybody, if you need right. permit up the ass to go right. shoot in Miami then, right now. Just... We shoot everywhere. People were like, oh, please shoot in the front of here. You know, like that all on the beach and everything. So we, you know, I used the University of Miami students, and they would come and be shooting the videos for a class and no money, like $2,000. Right. You know, this was a class for them. Oh, just buy the film, and we'll get the equipment over the weekend from the school and, and uh, do these videos. So we did that, and I got the strippers. Now that now we got these strip clubs going on, and and the strippers looking at the at the camera, and I'm thinking I'm getting ready to go. I'm going on BET, yeah. and BET was like, "Hell no, we're not no. fucking with you. We're not fucking with you. We BET, ain't fucking with you. MTV, nobody's fucking with you. Nobody's but, fucking with you. But the video was it the video jukebox? Video jukebox. They heard about you through the video jukebox, yeah. And your shit was on demand. Exactly. This one guy who one of the guys who created MTV. His name Les Garland. Okay. He moved down to Miami and he got some kind of way not affiliated with MTV the more I guess he sold his his part of it. And then he created this video jukebox. Right. And then he was like, yo, man, I gotta get you bring these videos over here. Matter of fact, I will help pay for the videos because, you know, it was wow. like pay per view on right. demand. Right. And uh, before you know it, I started doing the videos on there. Now that's sending out to the masses. And so now I had everybody no knows yeah. what's the show. Everybody knows, like, you know, here's he's records. Yep. And then now it's not just black kids. Everybody buying the records. Oh, it became it became an epidemic. And that's when the problem started. That's when the <laughs> yeah, problem the started, right? Fan, yeah. You know what? Let's go to a quick break. Mm-hmm. Internet, you tuned into the Combat Jack show. We got Luther Campbell on, on here. This is an amazing, amazing history. I, I implore you to go out and get his book, The Book of Luke, My Fight for Truth, Justice, and Liberty City. Be back soon. Internet, this portion of the Combat Jack Show is brought to you by Bevel, the superior shaving system. We just had Uncle Luke on. Uncle Luke, king of bass music, king of the strip clubs, and the strippers and me so horny and a whole nine. Stripping, I mean, the strip clubs are the biggest industry right now. When you and your boys go out and you're trying to get more than just the, the lap dance, when you want to 
get these strippers to fall in love with you and you want to sneak them out the back. They're not going home with you if your shit is ragged up. But if you got a smooth baby skin shave on your face and you smelling good and looking good and acting like a gentleman, you might go home and get that sloppy toppy. I'm saying. And when you do that, you might could all put that on and account that to bevel because your shit was smooth. But you don't go to no strip club looking like, yeah, nigga. Go to getbevel.com, punch in the promo code combat, C-O-M-B-A-T, for 20% off all your goods and services. Take that stripper home. Take that stripper home and shave like a boss. And now back to the show. Internet, you tune into the Combat Jack show. We got Premium Pete. What's up, Pete? Cheer, cheer. What's going on, Combat? Yo, we got Uncle Luke mm-hmm. on the show, man. And this, Legendary. This, this, this history is crazy. So, 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 Luke, man. So, you start bringing more girls to the, to the more sex. More sex. To the show. Yeah. Right? The, the video jukebox is blasting y'all. Yeah. Um, y'all are selling like crazy. People are coming to your shows. White kids are coming to your shows. And you were really smart, man. You talked about how you knew the difference between um, younger audiences mm-hmm. and older audiences. And you didn't really want no problem. You, had a, you foresaw that would be a problem if kids bought these sexually explicit records. So you came out with your own stickers before the industry? Yeah. Like these parental, you came up with that shit? Yeah, I came up with the whole parental advisory sticker. How, I mean, how, how did that happen? Like Basically, what happened is I had this, this, you know, this PTA from Alabama, they hit me up, mm-hmm. and they said, hey, um, you know, the young kids are getting the records. Right. And I was like, well, it's not intended for the young kids. You know, and uh, so there was a complaint. Yeah, and they said, "Well, what can you do?" And I was like, "Okay, well, let me go and think about something." So I basically took the idea from the movie industry. Mm. You know, they had the advisory sticker. Right. You know, seventeen the ratings, years, the PG, yeah, PG, R. So I took the, you know the, the rating system, and I took uh, yeah, basically PG seventeen. I said, "Let me incorporate that in to sticker in the record," and then I would then call up. You know, because back then you have a staff of people sitting in the room. They're calling all the record stores. You know, you had a crew that called record stores, and then you had a crew that called radio stations. So I'm going to go down there and say, hey, look here, when y'all call the record store, let them know we're going to send two different versions and do not sell that version to the kids. You know, I'm like, okay, well, if you could do it with beer and cigarettes, you can do it at the record store. So, But I just need to label it so they can know the difference. And... Basically, I came up with the label, you know, made it, had my art guy uh, cook it up and stuck it on the record and say, this is what it is. Unfortunately, people started getting arrested, right? People started getting arrested. Like store, store, record store Yeah, orders. well, when people started getting arrested was, again, you got Al Gore, Al Gore. wife, uh, typical, typical Gore, typical. you know, she got this group, you know, she's with the group Focus on the Family, PMRC. PMRC, right. You know, and these, these women... Um, Baker, wife, you know. Jim, Jim Baker. Exactly. Was it Jim Baker? Uh, no, Jim Baker was the, the evangelist. Exactly. It was the other, the Baker who got shot at. Right, right. And they get together with this group and all these Christian outlets and they started coming after us. Right. Oh, they're bad for uh, for the world. They're bad for the kids. They're doing this. And I'm like, yo, I got a sticker right here. And so once we started doing that, then that's when basically the heat came after right. us. You talk about this guy, Jack Thompson, yeah, like the main one that was after you. Like he was like, you know, at the time you talked about how Madonna was doing all this sexually explicit shit. Yeah. yeah. She was Dice a pop Clay, star. Andrew Dice Clay everybody. was the, was, was the, was the, 
was the grimiest cat in terms of his material, but you were public enemy number one. Mm-hmm. Um, and you talked about how your music really integrated the social scene in Miami. Yeah. Like white kids were coming to your shows and the parents were not, they, they was not loving that. They was not loving that they was coming home with these albums and the whole nine. So you, you got persecuted. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it became, let me tell you, it became white kids around the country. Because all the fraternity houses, right. we, we were the fraternity songs. Right, yeah. I mean, we you definitely we, were. Yeah. When when you got We Want Some Pussy screaming through the, you know, the frat house, you know, the dudes getting drunk. And then, you know, then we started getting a little more creative. Right. You know, we sampling Van Halen mm-hmm. and stuff like that. You know, Smoke on the Waters. Mm-hmm. You know, Mix just getting crazy right now. And because you know that, you know, even though these purist cats are saying y'all are not hip hop, y'all are comfortable in your hip hopness, but mm. you understand that you have a broader audience. Yeah, yeah, we were happy about where we was. I right. mean, we, you know, we weren't worried about what people said and how they said it, and we did what we had to do. And so, at the end of the day, like I say, doing these songs and touring and and being introduced to this new audience, it was like, hey, fuck it. But then. What just like you say, what ended up happening is when we became crossover, when we crossed over into the white households, that's when the the biggest problem happened. So when you started getting harassed by cops and the whole nine, instead of backing down, you got madder. Yeah, like when you went in to record as nasty as could be, you know what I'm saying? You you were really pissed off. You yeah. kind of wanted to piss off white America. Yeah, yeah. It was like okay, we're gonna push the envelope. Do you know? Because the question was. If you got, you know, before us, right. you know, these, you know, these conglomerates <coughs> owned it, all these other records. They owned it Millie Jackson. Because I'm, I'm going back to, Millie Jackson was on a label? You know what I'm saying? Millie Dice Jackson Craig. was foul. I'm, I'm she had a foul you. mouth. And all these other Leroy Skillet, uh, uh, you had uh, Esther. Esther is on every day. Right. Saffron and yes, Sun. Yes, yes, yes. You know, you had, Red uh, Fox Red was... Fox. was, was was you vulgar. Know, you, you got you know, all these guys. And they on TV, American TV, prime Exactly. Time. And then, you know, the, the straw that broke the camel's back was, I'm sitting there like, they got a fucking Playboy. You know, Playboy, they naked in here. Right. You know, Penthouse, they are naked in here. And this is America. Why, yeah, and this is right. America. Why y'all messing with me? You know, so I became real angry. And I got madder. And I was like, man, fuck it. You know, I guess the First Amendment don't apply to me. You know, it applies to others. I guess we still have men. You know, so all right. this, all this Uncle Ricky, Uncle Ricky, and all this, all, Uncle into Ricky is coming into I'm your... like, fuck that. Right. Okay, we gonna no, nah, we 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 just we we gonna fight for free speech and and uh, that's what we did. And but they were trying to say that your music was, in a sense, worse than pornography. Yeah, they were trying to say it was obscene. They were trying to say it wasn't creative. And I also, you also said that they were trying to hit you with the Rico. Yeah. Yeah. For, your, for your music. Exactly. <laughs> a lot of people don't know Rico. Rico is saying, yeah. yeah. You mm-hmm. yeah. I know about it. You know about Rico, yeah. I mean, they was like, yeah, we're going to hit him with Rico statute. So, I mean, basically, you know, we went through that. Right. And, 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 and along the way, you know, once, once they got a federal judge, Gonzalez, to then deem the song, you know, uh, it's, this is, this is pornography. This is, this song shouldn't be sold, and and we now deem this to be obscene. Obscene. So now that's when people start going to jail. Right now, the record store record store owners are going to jail, but you're going to jail now. Yeah. Like after the record, when he deemed it obscene, I was like, "Fuck this." Right. You know, I don't think so. And so I 
I went back in the same county where he said the song was obscene, which was Broward County, mm-hmm. you know, with a federal judge right down the street from his his place, booked the show in, and at this little club, I don't even, you know, the name of it was French or I don't know how I ended up getting booked in there, but I was like, book me in here. I'm going to go right down the street from the courthouse. And the cops were waiting. And I'm a, the and cops I'm, were waiting. They were sitting there waiting. Right. And I told the guys in the room, I said, hey, look, y'all prepared to go to jail because it's police up in there. You know, and I talk about it in the book yeah. about you know the, you know how you see the police, mm-hmm. they guys, you know they you know they got a, a New York Jet shirt on <laughs> yeah. and a Buffalo Bill hat. They, they yeah. look, they got all this fake, fake. They, <laughs> they got the Los, Los Jets, yeah. yeah, they got the Los Jets jerseys and and shit. Exactly. So, so as you're getting arrested, you start finding ways, like you talk about it in the book about how you find ways to fuck with the police. You would you would you would, you would break you would quote unquote break the law. You would perform and then you would dip. Yeah. Yeah, that that that's everybody everybody's intrigued by that. You know, uh like I say, I I, I had to, you know, cuz I was public enemy number 1. Right. I was a real public enemy mm-hmm. number 1. It was, you know, they when I come to town, they meet me at the airport like, "Yo, you sing those songs, you're going to jail." Right. The chief of police, you know, and the, And they gave you the option. It yeah. was it wasn't that your group was obscene. It was like if you do these songs, if you do a clean version, it be all right, but if you do the the whole the crazy. If you shit. do the dirty one, right. you going to jail. <laughs> right. And I was like, okay, well, you know, we'll see. Right. I guess you'll see when you come to the show. And you had and just and right now your dances, it's all it's over the top now, right? Is yeah. it, is it like 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 niggas is eating them out? Well, that they 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 got eaten out after okay. the police. Uh, okay, so, okay. Oh, right, right, okay. When the police say we can't beat this fucking <laughs> yeah. then the then the eating out started. Right. You so, know, the shit just get, really got grimy. The shit boiled down. You hired an amazing attorney. Yes. And y'all really fought this. Y'all took it all the way to the top of the federal court? Supreme Court. Sup- well, the, not the... The obscenity, the obscenity trial, trial. Was, the, was the federal court. Federal court. Yeah. And y'all beat that. Yeah, that's... No, we actually lost the first one. The first one. The first one, Gonzalez, you know, said the song was... Uh, uh, obscene, and then we had to then appeal his ruling right. to I think the the fourth district court of appeals. Okay, and then we won it at that district court of appeals, and they overturned his ruling. You know, because once he ruled it, you know, guys started saying, "Man, we're gonna sell a record anyway," mm-hmm. so they were putting record store owners in jail. You know, they, everybody was going to jail. Because you know? what happened was, the more obscene. They said you were. The more people wanted to buy the record. The more people wanted to buy it. They wanted to hear this. Yeah. You know, everybody was like, okay, I ain't no uh, rap fan. I got to hear what, <laughs> I, I got to hear this shit here. And, and that's, it, it became, it became crazy like that. And people just wanted the music and we started selling more music. And, and I was like, look, I'm going to go and perform anyway. Mm. So, you know, my thing was, I'm going to just push the envelope. You say you, you were public enemy number one, but really you were because, even like the other groups that were getting prosecuted, uh, persecuted at the town, like Public Enemy mm-hmm. and Ice T, them cats really didn't have a choice. Them, right. cat, them cats were signed to labels, and when it came down to it, the labels they kicked out Professor Griff. Yep, from Public Enemy, um, Warner Brothers shut down Ice T. Mm-hmm. You're an independent owner, black yep. black like the at the time the owner of the biggest um, black label in in America, mm-hmm. and you decided you wanted to fight. So you yeah. really became public enemy number one. Oh, yeah. Ain't no doubt about it. I wasn't affiliated with nobody. Right. And see, what people don't understand, back then, you know, back then, you then had the Clinton coming in and all that. And, and a lot of the major record companies started pumping money into their campaigns. Mm-hmm. 
And and so they had a you know they had a little bond going on and and just again using me as a pawn in the game. We got to you were the we, new Willie Horton. Yeah, I, we got to get rid of this guy. Right. You know because number one, this guy is still in record sales from us. We cannot sign him. Mm-hmm. He ain't coming to the table. You know he's doing all this music and so then it escalated. So then now you got. Uh, you you have uh, 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 mayors, you have uh, state attorneys, you got the, the vice president. You know, you got all kind of people speaking out against what we were doing. Yeah. At, at what point do you say, "Am I fucking crazy?" Like, at what point do you say, "The shit is, is, is isn't this shit scary?" <laughs> like, like you know what I'm saying. At what point do you like? Like, what forces you to go on? Because a lot of people would back down, my dude. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I could have I easily backed down. I, right. I mean, it wasn't, I mean, only the, the, the one case that I had, um, the case that I, when I performed a song that was considered obscene, and I went to state court uh, and, and actually won that case, that was the only case that I could have went to jail right. that I had to fight. Right. You know, all the other ones I didn't have to fight. Right. You know, I could just, you know, take an L and just sit on down and keep my money <laughs> yeah. and, and uh, not have to spend the millions of dollars that I spent. You know, uh, but I was like, look here, man, I'm a black kid from the hood. You know, I'm supposed to be either dead or in jail. Right. You know what I'm saying? Or, 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 this ain't, or this money mopping ain't, floors or something. Exactly. This money ain't, it ain't about the money, you know, because my mother and dad always taught me about, hey, look here. You gonna be a man. You gonna be a man. You gonna stand for something. You ain't gonna stand for nothing at all. You know, and never sell your soul for anything. So that was always instilled in me and all my other brothers. So I'm like, yo, I'm gonna take this shit to the dope. And you had the money because at the time you was worth about on paper like a hundred million dollars. Yeah, yeah. Jesus, damn Christ. Yeah, no, it was crazy money. I mean, we were doing ten million dollars a year, easy. Right. Yeah, in record sales. And what's crazy is you, the group. You fighting so hard, they wasn't into the fight like that. Like no, that. no, they were partying. Right, they wanted they wanted to be artists, and you yeah. you would you wanted to be the revolutionary. Exactly. Yeah, you would see you 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 would see at the beginning, uh, you know, at the, the first hearing, everybody had the first hearing. Then as it went on, it became just me and uh, uh, my lawyer Bruce Rogo. Right. And at the end, it was me it was, and Bruce Rogo. Yeah. And then the cases started becoming. Uh, Luther Campbell versus Acuff Rose because if you look at the Supreme Court case it wasn't Two that, Live Crew right. versus Acuff Rose the people who owned the Pretty Woman uh, uh, music right, right, it became me right. so everything became me against uh, everybody else alright let's move forward so you, you beat the case now, you, now you, you have all this freedom you got all this freedom to do whatever you want creatively. Your music is That's not, when the girls came. That's when the girls came. Bring them on stage. But that's when you went crazy. Fuck that's it. when motherfuckers was like getting eaten out. Motherfuckers was getting head on stage. Yeah. One of the first concerts was in uh, at the uh, Apollo. Apollo. In New York. In New York. Yeah. Doodoo Brown. They brought me to Apollo. It was me and MC Ren. Mm-hmm. Ren opened up for us. And that's, I think, NWA had broke up at that time. Mm. So Ren was out there solo. And he opened up uh, the show, and, and man, we got on stage, and I was like, I've never been to fucking Apollo in my life. The first time. First time in my life. And how, how, they, how, how they receiving you right now? Oh, they would love me. Because, you know, you yeah, you got Red Alert, 
and uh, uh, Flex, they just going crazy with the Doodoo Brown. Well, you know what? Doodoo Brown, when I first heard Doodoo Brown in the clubs in New York, out to me, like as a as a trained cat in New York, that was the first Miami bass record that I was like, yo, yes. this, this shit is, like, everybody loves it. It yeah. wasn't a Miami, it was a universal record. It was a universal record. And the chicks went crazy. Yeah, yeah. So it, so you and Apollo, and you play that record, and when I was, yeah, when I performed that record in there, it, people just, you know, you know, because we had a portion of, the, I, you know, I had this portion of the show where I bring girls on stage. Right. You want to come dance with me? And I bring the girls up on the stage, and before you know it, Girls hop up on stage and and shit, and then next day you know they dancing and they freaking take that shit off. And before the song come on, they taking it off, and, and I'm out there freaking the girls <laughs> and shit. You know, and I had this one, one one part of it where I was just like, okay, fuck it, you gonna give me some head on stage because I was like, <laughs> I was actually getting head on stage. You lost, you yeah, I was what? just my I nigga. Was, did you just lose your mind or you was? I, I mean, er, er, anything new. Rick James is eating pussy on stage. Fuck that. I'm going to get some head on stage. Yo, let me ask you a personal <laughs> question, man. You on stage. There's, there's, there's hundreds of people in the audience. There's no pressure to get your shit sucked on, on stage? No. I just whip out. It's <laughs> a beautiful, that's a beautiful thing. A beautiful thing that I you know, say. I know. I know. When I, when, cause when, I did, when I used to do them fucking peep shows and freak shows, I'd tell dudes, whip out. <laughs> hey, Akinelli, you did the put it in your mouth song. Okay, hey, she's going to suck your dick. Yo. Like, uh, no, no. You oh, have, so you, you ain't about that life, huh? You ever feel that you perform better when you were getting sucked off? Uh, Actually, I, I couldn't move. I, I was in... In Japan, you know, they got footage. Japan is crazy. You Like, that's a whole other level. Oh, man, I went over there and I just really, you know, because they were like, no, we're not like America. They fucking with you in America. <laughs> so I spent so much time in Japan and, and Holland and Amsterdam. I'm like, you know, so I'm going over these places and it's like, they smoking weed. The girls is in the window. The yum yum club. Everybody's freaking out. Well the fuck is going on? We're not really free. You know, okay, I'm going to show y'all how to be free. You know, because I done went to these different exotic com- countries mm. and, and came back. And they would freak out. The Japanese man, chicks would freak out. Man, man I had, they, they gave, I had a, a train. They ran a train on me. Yo. On the stage. How did you come up with the record uh, Band in the USA? Cause that band was, in the USA. Well, at the time, that was a big, that was the record yeah. that really got you. On like the MTVs and everything. Mm-hmm. Well, you know the crazy, the crazy story about that, and I, and I talk about it in the book. That was Bruce Springsteen <laughs> was the only person that supported us when you would it go through a, the whole. Yeah, it wasn't no Russell Simmons. Right. Wasn't no everybody in the hip hop industry was like fuck them. Please get a, get rid of them. That's not hip hop right now. That's not hip hop. Right. We ain't fucking with them. You know what I'm saying? And then you know I you know again I'm sitting around. You know I'm I'm. Have a neck neck for switching up a song. I'm like, born in the U.S. Which was a big record you know, at the I'm time. Like, Fucking band in the U.S.A. That's what these motherfuckers band me in. It. So then that was my first solo album, mm-hmm. and I was like, okay, I want to do this song. And then you know, one of the guys with me uh, got Bruce Springsteen on the phone, and I asked him for permission, and he said, Nah, man, I believe in the struggle. I believe in the fight. You know, and. Uh, it was a five-minute conversation. It wasn't that long. And he gave you his blessings. He gave me his blessings and everything. That's and I was crazy. like, man, this is some wild shit. You know, all this my, you know, all this black power, this black power, this, you know, the white guy, you right. know, got my back. Right. You know, and I'm like, this you motherfucking yeah. niggas. Yeah. You know, and uh, and, and the other person was Sinead O'Connell. Uh-huh. 
Really? You know, yeah, yeah. Me and her, you know, ended up linking up. We were cool. That's dope. Yeah, and she understood everything, and everybody else was like, you know, hey, get rid of. But the next big fight was the the Supreme Court. Yeah, like you did, um, Big Harry Woman. What was it? Was yeah, record? Uh, Pretty Woman. You're right, Pretty you, Woman. You you copy you parodied that. Yes, and they said that you didn't have the right to use that record as a parody. Yeah, they said it was a, a parody. Right. Exactly, and that, yeah, and that that took you to the Supreme Court. Yeah, when they see what what was happening is I get I get you know I talk about it in the book I get sued all these little right wing organizations anything that I was affiliated with that they turned into germs like they would call up George Lucas right you know and George Lucas sued me and I had to end up paying him a half a million dollars. half a million dollars and you had to stop using Skywalker exactly right. so they called George Lucas how could you dare allow this misogynistic pig uh, to to use your name and then sue him or we're going to stop looking at Star Wars and all your movies, We're going to boycott George. the whole we're gonna boycott your Lucas shit films. Because you're supporting him. And then he's like, oh, no. You know, even though I had a license, then you had this 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 guy. You know, so they were coming after everybody. And so now they go to Roy Orbison. How dare you, Roy Orbison, allow them to use your song. You sued him. We're going to boycott your shit. So they had no choice. Even a weird Al Yankovic was, was doing, doing shit like that. that. Right. Yep. So- you, you, you had Bobby Jimmy. You right. remember Bobby yeah, Jimmy? Yeah, 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 definitely. All, you know, Will Al Alcovitz. You had everybody. You had Saturday Night Live. Mm-hmm. You know, people like that doing parodies. And to this day, they do them every, every Saturday. Right. You know, so, you know, you got all that going on. And I'm like, hold on. So they, the whole case was, this is not parody. You know, this is, this is not art. This is not nothing. So they won in one court. <laughs> And we won in one court. We got it appealed. And then after that, it went to the 4th District Court of Appeal. They then shipped it up to uh, the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court heard it. Yo, walk us through you walking into the Supreme Court, like how that shit looked. Oh, man, like, that you was sitting amazing. with the top justices, like Clarence Thomas and those cats. Uh, yeah, right after his Anita Hill. Yep. Uh, his, Co- his confirmation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh, shit. This freaky this, nigga. This dude is really going to fucking crucify crucified me. He just got in the seat. He just went off on a bunch of freaky shit. They just accused him of with, with uh, Anita Hill. I'm dead. I will count him out. You know, so I'm, it was like a movie. Did he, did he rule against you? No, actually, rule for okay. rule for me. It was like it was like a movie. It was a movie. You know, you go in there and and it's uh, no, it's no courtroom like that in the world. No you cameras. Know, I, you know, I, <coughs> obviously, I've been to court. You've everywhere. been to courtroom. You know, courtrooms in, in the Bahamas. I've been to court everywhere. I've been to jail everywhere. <laughs> right. So I go in there, man. It's like take off almost take off all your clothes. Right. Take everything out your pockets. They want everything. Keys, they don't want nothing in that courtroom. So you have they give you a locker and you walk through the have you put your stuff in a locker and then you sit down and be quiet. And the guards walking up and down, don't say a word, don't even breathe wrong. Mm. No going to the bathroom or nothing. You gotta hold it. If you gotta do it, do it right now. Mm. You know, and so when you go up in there, you know, and these justices come from behind the back the black robe, one <sighs> It's like some Houdini shit. And then they go That's some down. real Illuminati yeah, shit. Like, like, <laughs> yeah, it's another one. It's like, shit. You know, and I'm like, how the hell did I end up in this joint? You know what I'm How saying? the hell did you end up in this joint? Yeah, I'm just sitting there like, oh, I should have just stopped. Right. You know what I'm saying? I'm but like, you had a lot of money on the, on the line. Yeah. 
Like and, you would have lost a lot of money. I'd have lost if I lose the case, then they would they would have sued the dog crap out right. of me. But I wasn't even thinking about that. I was just thinking about you know, hey, look, you know, if I lose the whole rap industry, you know, because I hadn't then came down to that. That's what this is all about. Right. You can't sample you know? like well, it would have probably bled into sampling and exactly and the whole nine, right? And 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 so you know, we ended up in you know the. You know, um, what was surprised at me in the whole deal was the brief that was filed against me. Michael Jackson filed the brief against me. Michael Jackson was against you. Yeah, right. and Dolly Parton was against me because Akovich was doing all this. So, right. so if they ruled against me. They would have went after him. They would have sued Akovich and they would have sued all them. And then you had uh, uh, people like uh, Saturday Night Live file briefs on my behalf and other people file Supporting briefs. you. Support me because they knew that shit was going to come down on e- them. Exactly. Right. The, the the lady who just became a justice, uh, I forget what her name is. She's a, a justice now. She actually the filed, Sp- Spanish lady. Uh, the the lady before she filed a brief on behalf of us. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So That's crazy. That was funny. You right. know what I'm saying? They they talked about that when they were uh, uh, getting that together. But no, it, it was it was an amazing uh, uh, feeling, amazing story. And you win. You win. Yeah. That was big. You win. It was like the world, uh, you know, lift off my shoulder. It was like you won in the biggest court in the land. Yo, are you? Did you ever get tired of all this fighting, man? Because you fight, you you making music, you making money, but you gotta fight so hard. Yeah, more than almost any other artist at the time. Yeah, and with nobody helping. Right. You know, nobody. You know, starting no big fun. Let's help Luther. No GoFundMe. Yeah, yeah, ain't no GoFundMe. This fund is your me. money. It's all my money. You know, and nobody coming out, you know, to help. Nobody, you know, all this RIAA and all these organizations that supposed to be supporting artists and the Grammys and all that. There's all, all, none of them came out to support it. So you win and this is like a symbol of real freedom now. Yes. And in and, and the music and America the whole nod. You talked about, and I thought this was really amazing, man. You, you're a tough guy. You know, you never back down. But you get invited to play um, band in the USA for the MTV Music Awards. Yeah. And you felt that this was the first time that you were really, really accepted. Yeah. And you're performing, and you got the shades on. You do, And you said these tears come to your eyes. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That thing had me crying out. Right. Yeah, that was, a, that, was a deep, that was a deep moment because it was like, I, you let it, you know, the whole world off your shoulder. All these critics, all these things flying. It's like, okay, I feel like I'm vindicated. I'm, 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 I made it through, through the, through the, the forest and the trees and the fire. And it was like a, a total relief, and it happened right there on stage. That's crazy, man. So you win all these battles, Luke, and 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 you're undefeated, and you fight all these outside enemies. But in your own camp, they're working against you. They're working against me. And you end up, with, with all the success you have, I mean, you discovered H-Town. Yep. Which was, you know, Knocking the Boots was the biggest record at the time for Luke Records, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, you breaking all of this ground, and then some cat in your company bankrupts you. Yeah, this one dude was uh exactly did a he then hooked up uh this guy and I talk about it in the book this guy Joe Weinberger he ends up getting uh three creditors because I didn't know you could do that right you know he you know that's when I found out Two Live Crew was kind of siding with him you know they said all of a sudden we want a contract they never had a contract before right 
Then it was like, okay, well, we want a contract. And all, all right, no problem. If that's what you guys want to do, then he didn't start negotiating the contract. He was the in-house attorney, the general counsel. He didn't, I'm like, look like you negotiating for them. You sure you ain't their lawyer? You sure I don't need to get a lawyer? And so that kind of threw a red flag up. Uh, I was going through a case with one of the artists, MC Shadi. Who was uh, the first act you signed from? Atlanta. He was the first signed act. First signed act. From Atlanta. Exactly. MC Shadi. And so I'm, I'm going through all this, you know, with him. And at the time, the lawyer, you know, while the case was being going on, my lawyer who was dealing with that case was like, yo, this guy here ain't giving me no information. You know, uh, uh, your general counsel ain't giving me no information to help me win this case because it was cut and dry. The guy sold 25,000 records. Just go to the pressing plant and pull all the statements and just show it to the judge. So, it, you know, they had that go. You know, I'm too busy. Mm-hmm. Everything is going on. So then at the end of the day, once I'm looking at this contract, I'm like, you know, him telling me this guy's not working in the best interest of the company and then other people in the company telling me this. And, all, you know, when I look at this guy then start negotiating this contract, I was like, you got to go. Yeah. All these guys. And, and, you know, at the same time, even, you know, there were times where H-Town would come and say, man, this guy ain't give us a statement. And I would have to go to the guy, what the fuck statement at for these guys here? You know, and they would be complaining. It was, it was, it was crazy. You know, so, and and he's supposed to be running your company. Yeah, and, it and was, he's running it against you. He, him, and the two live crew. And and what happens is eventually, this whole thing that you created, you're the one that has to leave. Well, right? Oh, not well, not really. How did that work out, man? I, I what what happened is he then went and got three creditors, mm-hmm. and they filed an involuntary bankruptcy. So they filed an involuntary bankruptcy. At the same time, I had all these lawsuits because of all these samples that I didn't get cleared. Then I had this MC Shadi lawsuit that I lost, you know. And so I got that going on. Then I have these guys uh, with, you know, Two Live Crew. They didn't do no suing because uh, they got all their money, which everybody got all their money. Uh, so while I'm doing, while I'm going through all this, he files this involuntary bankruptcy. So I'm going to these guys, well, what are you doing? You know, uh, uh, I don't know what this is. So I got to get a bankruptcy lawyer. Then he explains to me what's an involuntary bankruptcy. I never heard of any of this. And so <laughs> I went to these guys and they'd say, oh, this guy told us that you were not going to pay us. Uh. And so we then agreed to do this. You know, all you need is three creditors to do that. And so while the lawsuits was coming in, I go get a bankruptcy lawyer. I actually sue this guy, take him to court, almost take his license, the Joe Weinberger guy. You know, the judge found him. You know, the judge was like livid. Right. He was like, yo, man, I ain't never seen no Some shit like this. Shit. This is you a lawyer. You you the worst thing in Did the world. Did he get disbarred? He was like getting ready to disbar him. So it was like, you're the worst thing in the world. You don't do this. You, you're a lawyer. You work, you're a general counsel. How could you do this? So the law, judge went bananas on him. So that kind of, you know, he, he ruled on it. And so it sat there. So now I'm dealing with all, I'm dealing with all this, the, the bankruptcy, the involuntary bankruptcy that were filed. So I had the option of, of getting it dismissed or I had the option of, turn it into a chapter 11. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like sitting there, I got all these cases. And then the judge said, you know, not, not the judge, but the uh, lawyer said, you know how you 
spell relief of all this. You could sit there and spend thousands of dollars fighting all these little cases, but what you could do is you could just do Chapter 11, reorganize, and at that same time, I had this deal, which I did my first deal with Relativity Records. Mm. That was my second deal. I'm, I want to get big. You know, I'm selling H-Town. Right. I got Lorenzo. I got all this R&B shit popping off. I'm, I want to hook up with a Sony affiliate. Then at that time, they were with NWA, was mm. doing good with, with Relativity. Right. And I said, man, if I could use this Sony system, get this big machine. Get this shit off my back. Get this shit off. You know, I, hey, look, I don't have to, I don't have to manufacture the records no right. more. So I'm just using common sense. Let's use this right here. Knowing the horror stories of, of record labels, but no, nah, we're going to do a different kind of deal here. I got my lawyer, Paul Schindler, one mm. of the best. From, from, the, from, from, from Grubman. Grubman and Dursky. Yeah. He Grubman and Dursky. cut me the good deal and right. all that there. <laughs> and so I end up going over there and we, we do the deal. And uh, just like I say, while we got this deal going on, these guys are uh, conspiring, uh, in my opinion, together to cook up the books and all that and so just like I say I ended up now I got this deal with relativity they ain't paying me mm -hmm. because they say oh you got this 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 label uh we getting these returns but you I'm selling I'm like yo I got a, I just sold a million records at H Town with y'all a brand new album but technically the I guess because all of this they weren't technically signed to you at the time is that what it was you got this deal and they wasn't signing you no or? everybody was signing right yeah no, they were signed. They were signed because when, when, when I did the, yeah, H-Town had always been signed. Okay. You know, two live crew now uh, negotiating a deal. But then I kind of, you know, once I realized they were down with this dude. So now I'm selling records. I took my catalog, put it with Sony Relativity. Sony Relativity got the records. They're selling it, and then now they're not paying me. Because they, cause all of this other legal stuff. No, they're, they're not paying me because what happened was, the guy, Joe, told me, oh, the contract is already all right to be signed. Paul Schindler told me, no, the contract is not all right to be signed because the issue was this little thing right here. Where is that? On? The barcode. Barcode. It was he like, wanted no, to switch the barcode. Yeah, we need to switch the barcode so they won't That's be taking returns. Right. Uh, we, they won't be taking returns from your previous distributors. Then they would have to account to you from those distributors and whatever they sell because of the barcode, they'll, you know, sell their own. So they basically lied. Right. And, and said they were the taking uh, returns on product. And because this dude told me to sign the contract, I just went. Because you knew that the main important thing was you had to have a different barcode. Yeah. You signed the contract thinking that the contract stated that it was a different barcode. It wasn't. It wasn't. And that fucked you. And that fucked me up. Right. And so now I got this. So now it really, that's when I really said, this guy got to go. You know, and this guy trying to hijack my company. He's doing all this here backdoor uh, stuff going on. Uh, and then at the end of the day, that's when he then, then once I realized that fired him, then he went, got mad, got these guys to do the involuntary bankruptcy, then the involuntary bankruptcy. Then I ended up saying, okay, I'm going to get rid of all these people at yeah. one time. I'm going to just go ahead and turn the involuntary bankruptcy into a chapter, chapter 11. 11. And then I'm going to just reorganize, uh, get rid of them people because they say, well, all this stuff goes in this one box and whatever money you make it tomorrow is your money. It's your money. I was like, shit, I can do that? So you just walked away. I just left all that right there, but I still owned it every time. Right. So then now, in the, you know, so I reorganized the company and that's when I discovered, you know, I'm like, yo, fuck it. 
You know, I'm good at what I do. <laughs> right. You know, and then through that process is when Two Live Crew really jumped in the boat with this guy. Mm. You know, and H Town jumped in the boat with Sony and everybody every, jumped against you. Everybody jumped against me. So at the end of the day, you know, and one thing about it, God don't like no ugly. Them dudes went with them guys and they could not sell a fucking record. Mm. You know, they couldn't sell nothing. Zero. They were putting records out after records and and they ain't sell no. I said, yep. But Luke, you had that. You still had them yappers in the car, man. What stopped yeah. you, man? Huh? What stopped you from just, because you said this was the maddest you had ever been when these yeah. cats snaked you out. Yeah, it, it was like, you know what? I I, I got in, into my, my mind. I don't, you know, I don't know where I got it from. They said, look, you know, by letting somebody live, they got to live with that. with that. They got to see that every day. They want to steal your shit. They want to steal this here. They got to live with Let that. them die slow. Let them die slow. And every day they have to live with what they did and the, and, and the things that they did. So let don't put them out of the miseries. Don't put your hands on them. Right. That's what they want. Let their karma Let the motherfucker them. live yeah. with it. So every day they see me, right now today, you know, right now today, I mean, they, you know, I'm doing this. You know, they're sitting there looking, you know, like gremlins. They're living in internal hell. <laughs> and I, 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 I truly believe they're living in internal nah, hell. I, I believe that too. You know, man. and by the things that they do, you know, like if I put a record out, they'll try to put a record out right after me. And, to try to catch yeah, that wave. It's like, exactly. So they're living like, they're living fucked up right, right. now. Yeah. You know, and it's, so, you know, I'm, I'm okay with that. So just let them, you know, because again, I mean, the part of me was like, yo, man, go don't do these dudes. You know, just go ahead and erase them. Because I was on that right. before. And I said, no, nah, I'm not going to revert back there. Leave them dudes right there and let them live with that life. And they started a record company. They were totally blackballed by the industry. Mm. Couldn't get a record played. Couldn't get a video played. Because, again, all these guys who I built up this relationship with throughout the years and building this company, you know, they knew me. And they know the struggles. They knew the story. They knew you were solid. Even if the story wasn't getting told. Right. You know, every record you know, every radio station guy who told me I can't play a two, li two live crew record, they know they couldn't play it. But then when it was time to play an H-Time record, they were like, you got something finally we can play. Right. You know, so they had love for me. They, they knew. So now when you steal that part of my catalog and these and these two live crew guys, they they really gave it to them blood raw. Yo, what's a suicide weekend, man? Uh, what's the suicide weekend? Uh, it's uh, sacrifice weekend. Sacrifice weekend. What's the sacrifice weekend? Oh man, man that man, was that crazy. sounds a lot better. Yeah, he's talking about suicide, suicide weekend. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Motherfuckers ready to kill themselves <laughs> over the weekend. Let's go <laughs> die this weekend. Exactly. Bungee jump without a strap. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Fuck it. <laughs> what's the sacrifice weekend, man? Sacrifice weekend, man. You 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 got to read the book. No, nah, I read the book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You want to you want the, the real shit? Sacrifice weekend, man. It was crazy. Yeah. We I, again, we just living like freshmen, right? You know, we just wild and doing whatever. I got my big yacht. I got this mm. fifty foot yacht I done bought called the Scandalous. You know, put on the bottom of it Liberty City, so the cops won't bother with me mm -hmm. because you know if you a had, black man owning yeah, the yacht, you had Kendall mm -hmm. on the bottom of your boat. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, Pull over. exactly. New Jersey, your ass getting pulled over. Y'all niggas stole this boat. You know, so it's like <laughs> this is Tommy's fucking boat. Exactly. So I put Liberty City, 
Ain't nothing but black people live there. So if y'all see black people on the boat, they supposed to be there. Don't bother with right. me. You know what I'm saying? Because, you know, the, the police in the water, they want to stop everything and everybody. Yep. Man, we used to, I mean, we would have these parties on the boat and be like, yo, sacrifice weekend. It was like, oh, shit. You know, so it'd be girls, you know, all right, who want to be sacrificed? And the girls would be Just up. doing the craziest Man, thing. It became golden right. showers, you name it. Damn, God, and, damn. and and what's we just the, had shit else to do. And what's crazy, man, is you said at a certain point, man, you it got tired to you. Yeah, I was like, this shit is and all that pussy. And it, at, at, at a certain point, it's like, how much pussy can I have? Man? Yeah, I mean, when I when I really was like, man, I'm done with this. Was was uh, God tried to get me in the porno business? Mm-hmm. You know, not doing the movies, but you know, use my name to promote. The, the, you know, show me all the numbers, man. Vivid is making crazy money. This company making all this money. You know, all this, you know, it's like shit. You know, you the black, you have no, mm. you know, you which, which sex, technically man. you were. Yeah, you fucking need to do videos. So then I went to a video set when they were shooting a porno, and I was like, this shit ain't right. Mm. It you didn't know what feel I'm right. I look at pornos all day, but right. I was like, no, this ain't right. Con- it's like in terms of your conscience? Or? Yeah, my, my, my conscience was like, this ain't right. right. Especially the fuck on demand. You know, I just, people think like pornos is cool. I went on a set before one time and, and just seeing what was going on was totally different. It was totally different. But it's funny that he asked you that because like I've been through, like you've been through way more pussy than I've been through. But but Yeah, like, he's been through, yeah. That's, yeah, that's not absolutely. Even a, no, no, but the point I'm trying to make Luke is like- looking at you like, us people, nigga. No, no, no. <laughs> but people asking you like, you ever get tired of uh, pussy or you ever get tired of that wife? Some people may say, are you crazy to ask that? But when I think about it, like, I remember I had a threesome and it was beautiful. And then I had a foursome and it was even more beautiful. But then all of a sudden I realized that the way I was running my life, like at the end of the night, I was I was lonely. I know it may sound yeah, crazy, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like that's when I knew, like you know, maybe I got to ride with someone that really loves me. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I, yeah. and all through my crazy times, I was by myself, mm. so I ain't give a fuck. You know, I'm living in this big ass house, eight thousand square foot by yourself. Yeah, by myself. You know, okay, everybody get out. Right. You know, I'm got all the wild parties and shit. Uh, you know. People all over, you know, so at the end of the day, just like you say, you you become by yourself. With all this money, I'm by myself. So, I, I mean, there were always times I was like, God, you could take all this. Just give me a family. Right. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So at the end of the day, you know, like, and even with me, you know, throughout my years doing the shows, I was much more of an instigator. Right. I ain't really. You were the not, ringleader. You yeah, weren't the. I didn't, I didn't screw a bunch of chicks. Right. I didn't, I, you know, I ain't got high and all that wild shit smoke weed and all hey, I, you know I give me some drinks but I make sure everybody else was right. doing the wild right. stuff and it's crazy man is it beca- because you was the straight guy did you see things that you didn't want to become like how sex really people get addicted to that shit yeah 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 well I mean you know because I mean growing up in the streets you know when I'm out there you know where all the drugs being slinging and and all that, and all the banging, and all that. And I'm looking at, you know, that's why, you know, living in Miami, that's why I never got involved into the drug part right. of it. Because, yeah, I'm out here selling it. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, I'm, you know, I'm, and I'm looking at dude's body deteriorating. And people Losing do, all their money you know, and breaking up their families. Junkies and zombies right. and shit. We laugh at them and all that. So it's like, I ain't never fucking with that. You know, so anything or too much of anything will turn you addictive and it will, 
eventually haunt you. Right. So in all my years, okay, I'm looking at this, and I'm first starting out, yeah, I'm knocking the girls down. I'm just like, fuck it. Fuck I'm a, everything. I'm fucking everything. You know, my first couple of years, it was more like, fucking. I just want to fuck five girls in one night. Even if I just stick it in, stick it in, stick it in. Let me hold this. Let me hold the manufacturing until it's time exactly. to put, I, it, put it out on your chin. I, I was like, you know what? And then I, and then. Uh, Sisters? I went, uh, everything, yeah. Twins? Twins, yeah. God damn it. Yeah, yeah. Mother, daughter? <laughs> no, no, no. No, mother, yeah. daughter's the best, man. You got to fuck with the mother, Twins, daughter. Yeah. yeah, you don't got to do shit. Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> no, no I don't mean no more. Yeah, but back then, if we go back, mother daughter is official. Oh my god! Like I never had twins before, but I had mother daughter. Yeah, oh, twins. Jesus, Christ. mother daughter was beautiful, man. Hey, like, hey, the, the mother was like, <laughs> hey, hey, take you, you got you ain't sucking the dick right. Let me show you. And oh, I'm my, like, yeah, yeah, oh, mom, let me, you know, It was listen. You, you already have an <laughs> orgasm before you have an orgasm. I almost had that one time with this one porno chick. Yeah, and I was like, hey, her mother was in the porno business. I'm like, nah, we ain't doing that. But yeah. <laughs> I once, you know, once I got to the point that I was like, you know what, I, I became real picky, right? You know about about what I want to be with, so I ain't want to be what they thought I right. was. Right, right, right. So everybody was like, you fucking everybody, you know. So at my first couple years, yeah, I wild out. It was like my first got it out your year, system. Got it out my system. I knew every day on the weekend I'd end up running the company, right? So I couldn't be up in that party and and wilding yeah, out every early. night, and and I didn't want to be. I just wanted to be different, you know, than what people thought I was. So people would be like, oh, yeah, y'all rappers, y'all knocking everybody down. I'm like, no, no. And so then as my years went on, it became, you know, I would be dating girls and they'd be like, no, nah, I'm not messing with you. You too live crew. I know what you're doing. And I'd be like, no, I'm really, I'm not. Really, I'm not. I like and, you. I got values. You know, and- yeah, you, you really, you know, and, and then I always said to myself. Did that haunt you, man? It did, but right. I, but I always said to myself, the the first girl that don't believe that shit and get caught up in that 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 uh, that image of mm-hmm. the rapper, she's gonna be she's gonna she, get she's lucky. gonna be the one. She's gonna be the right. one, you know, who see past that and 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 want me for me, you know, and that's and so it was a good thing. It was like, oh yeah, well you know I'm dating, so I started dating like everybody else. You know, but how was how was that dating scene for you, man? Was it? Oh, what, it was. I mean, shoot, I'm I got, sure you met some crazies. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. My the, the the baby mama thing. Uh, that it, that was the worst for me, right? You know, because you know I'm, I come from a household with a mom and a dad, and I'm always taught to respect women and all that. So when I was dating these girls outside of my first child, the second one. Uh, and the next one, it was like, you know, hey, treat women with respect, you know, this and that. So I'm talking to them, you know, I give them the benefit of the doubt. Oh, you're a good girl. Oh, yeah, I'm going to take the birth control and all these different oh, things. Man. And so I'm treating them with respect and right. believing them and trusting them. But they're trying to set you up. They set, set me you up. up. They set, set you up like crazy. Right. I, was, I was getting set up. I got set up one time where, where you know, the woman who had my two kids, I'm like, yo, this girl ended up. Squatting at my house, I had to take and get a boat oh, out, and, oh, and she called the cops and say I put a gun on her, so I was gonna all kill that crazy her and shit. all that because you know hit my criminal record, right? Of course, of my history, saying yeah, this nigga is a killer, yeah, you know he's <laughs> fucked up. So they put it on my record, yeah, you did say that, no, okay, you know. So I had to go through a whole lot of that, but happily, like, but you've been happily married now. 
Yeah, for yeah. seven years, seven, seven years. Congratulations, man! Congratulations, yeah. man! Yeah, my wife saw through all that. Yeah, she was like, "Man, that ain't, ain't sweating all that." Now, Luke, man, it's, it's amazing, man. Like at this point in your career, man, the, the things that are important to you, you know, the politics and, and going back to Liberty City, and 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 you know. Being involved in like youth, the the youth league, like the, the was it the Optimist Club? Yeah, I started, uh, you know, and that's what I talk. I talk about that in the book. You yes. know, a lot of people think, you know, a lot of firsts. You know, this book is like the first, the first, the first. You know, bringing people, making people aware of a lot of things. Like, you know, the average person thinks Snoop Dogg was the first guy to start a youth football team and right. all that in the league. We did twenty five. This year we'll be celebrating our twenty fifth year. Congratulations! You know, man. Um, you know, I did two things. My first check, you know, I said, <laughs> first check I'm gonna buy my mama house. But you did. Second check I'm gonna, I'm gonna start my youth program, mm. and I started that thing uh, those years ago, and then I started looking out for myself. But you know, it was all about. You know, uh, doing that, and I always said when my career kind of died down, I'm gonna go back out there and start coaching. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so it died down, and I went back out and started coaching, and I went and won a pop Warner national championship. Congratulations! You know, uh, I, I went to a championship, went back the next year, won the championship, and then you know I became this fucking guru right. of coaching. You because, became coach, yeah, Luke, became as opposed coach to. Luke. Uncle Luke. Yeah, exactly. Defensive so, guru. Yeah, I'm out of beating people. And then before you know it, I ended up, uh, that became too easy because it looked like I was cheating. Right. And because uh, uh, our kids were so much developed, uh, more so than any other set of kids. And uh, before you know it, I, I said, okay, let me go to another level. I went to high school and uh, a group of kids that I was coaching, I went with them to high school put them in a school, and uh, we won the first state championship for them. Uh, uh, we won the first state championship for the school and never won a championship in 50 years. Wow, then, 50. Damn. Yeah. Then I then, uh, I said, well, you know, I got to get these kids in college. So I took the idea, and I talk about it in the book, I took the whole idea that when I went to D.C., like we started off talking, and my eyes That got changed open, your life. Changed my life. I say. How can I, you know, because you tell the kid, do the right thing in class. Do this, do that, do that. Uh, how, what can I do to change? That can life? only go so far. Exactly. So mm-hmm. I started taking them every summer, taking them to college camps. Mm-hmm. You know, they got these college camps. They can go on the campus. They can see other football players. They can do train with the coaches and all that. And so I started taking them to these camps. Then they, they I'm looking at the eyes just open up their worlds yeah so it's like the same feeling i got the same feeling they got mm. you know and that brought their rising and when they went back home i had to tell them to get the grades right they knew exactly gave them a taste where they wanted to go at and how they want to get there and we did not have to tell them you know this is what you you know you got to do it was like what what do i do i need to get their coach you know and so that became my thing you know i'm the coach you know with my homeboy coach Lockett. he's now at and uh, he's coaching at Oregon State. Mm-hmm. You know, we shoot, we just getting kids after kids, the whole senior class going to college. This these things were never existed in Miami. Uncle Luke would be a dope coach. You know, I can only imagine some of these people asking for you to get them laid and shit. You know? Yeah, no, nah, they don't ask that. <laughs> it's funny because yeah, I'm a, yeah. This whole week, I mean, the first this the this the first. Uh, Year and what seven years that that I missed uh, 
the first week of spring uh, of fall practice. Okay, so promo. We started up the the other day. It's crazy, man, how much you have to fight. And even at this point, you talk about how this is the happiest you've ever been. Yeah. Really, this is the happiest. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm. You're doing I'm, what you love. I'm, no pressure. No fighting. You had to fight. Like they tried to say you were unfit to coach these kids. Yeah. And yeah, you had, I beat, you had to beat that. That was my last fight. That's right. why I mean, people say, "Why well, you didn't do a book back then?" Well, when I had to go through that, and that went on for about three years, I was like, "This, this is a, definitely a chapter in the book." Was that the toughest one? Which was which was the toughest fight you went through, man? The toughest fight was uh, the uh, Roy Orbison. Roy Orbison, because the it was Supreme just, Court. I mean, one day you win, right? Next day you lose, right? Next day you win. You know, now you got to go up here in in the political capital of the world. But, you know, that fight, again, because now we're doing these things with these kids. And I'm like, yo, I really got to fight for these kids because if I don't do it, these other coaches around here ain't taking the opportunity, the time to then give back and give, put into these kids. And and the good part about that, you know, that came out of that, that that first group that I coached, you know, and my program had been going on. 25 years. Yeah. You got Chad Johnson came out of my mm-hmm. program, Antonio Bryan. You got tons of kids. Now, when I go back there, the first group, now, they just finished. The group that I coached myself finished college last year. Wow. The year before. So the now fr- you got the running back for the the, the San Francisco, not the running back for uh, Atlanta Falcons, mm-hmm. Devontae Friedman. Right. He was the running was, back on the team. Right. He was actually the quarterback on the team. And he'll probably end up being the star running back this year for the Falcons. Last year was his rookie year. He went out early. Then you got – now you have the running back at the Cleveland Browns, uh, Duke Johnson. Mm-hmm. Then you got Charles Gain. Then you have Darrell Estridge, another one of my kids, who on that same team who's playing at the Jets now. Wow. And so, you know, that whole group of kids – they got it. That, and they got educations out of it. Finish that's, early. That's got to be better than money, man. That's better than money. That's got to be better than sex. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, better, hey. Better, than, better, than, better than money. Yeah. Not the sex. <laughs> there you go, Lou. Luke, yeah, man, got, you, yeah, the sex is beautiful. Yo, man, you're such an inspiration, man. Is there anything you would have done different? Anything I would have done different? I would have just, I guess, I'd have, you know, I would have... Uh, uh, Probably pick the right women to have kids mm. with because I I feel so bad for my kids uh, because you know a, a lot of my you know kids get they caught up in that they get caught up in that, that baby mama drama right. and mm-hmm. they 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 did not have the opportunity to have their dad in their life even though I wanted to be in their life you know and 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 the mothers dangling them around like like pawns in the game like weapons yeah yeah and I I just hate that right. for them because. That shouldn't be with no kid. You know, no kid should be used like that and not be able to have both their mom and their dad in their life. Right. Whatever the circumstances is. So, you know, and I I, I hold myself responsible right. for that. Of course. Not the mother, you know, because I should have been more responsible. More careful. And, and more careful before bringing them into this world, into that kind of situation. Right. Yeah, those moments sometimes are tough to, you know, decide what happens. But, I mean, you know, how old are your kids? Oh, I got them. They go from 26 to 24, okay. all the way to 6. Yeah, I mean, I'm a divorced father. I mean, I, I, I go through the baby mama stuff. But the difference between me and you is, you know, obviously a lot of these women were dangling because of that money. They wanted you know their money. I mean? But I will say this, you know, when a kid gets older, 
they get a chance to really see that for themselves. You I know? thought that, but that that's not. That didn't happen either. So no. then, that, then that mother was good then. Yeah. Well, not good, but good. Yeah, at, no. Good. Yeah, I thought, I, and that's what I always said. I'm I'm praying to the man upstairs. You know, when they get older, they'll know better. Right. You know what I'm saying? They'll know. And I would, you, you know, still, at a certain still, point in time, waiting, it, it got so bad when it was 17, and I was like, fuck it, I'm going to let y'all see. See the check right here? Yeah. You know, because they were being told uh, that I wasn't taking care of them, and I was like, no, mama, ain't no deadbeat. See the check right here? You Matter of fact, go get the check, I'll sign it, and you give it to your mom. Mm. You know, so I had to got that deep. So that's training them to know that, no, my dad takes care of me, my, right. you know. You know, and all that. So when they got older, it seemed like it got worse. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah, that, it got that, worse. That's, that's got to yeah. be the tough one. But I will say this. Whatever it takes, and I know, you know, you know your kids better than me, but, you know, I live by this whole thing. You know, I've seen uh, older people, women, even my lady now, I know that she struggles with her relationship with her father. And I know that, uh, you know, it's never too late, really, to sit down and talk. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I really believe in this. We, we say this all the time here, but there's presence over presence. Sometimes a lot of people, you know, money sometimes gets in the way, you know? Yeah. And, and, and you know, but really all they needed was us. You know what I mean? Exactly. It's never too late, man. Sit down yeah. and talk. Like, I got one of my kids. One of my kids, uh, she was astray like that, and me and her best friends right now. That's amazing, man. That's my girl, and hopefully the other three will come around. Listen, no, no, no. You don't miss the music industry, man. I do. Yeah, I, I, I miss it from the standpoint. You know, I'm, I'm still in the industry technically. Mm -hmm. You know, because I got a whole bunch of my catalog mm -hmm. that I, of course, that I still that doesn't uh, go away. Sell right. I sell that. You know, uh, I do a bunch of stuff, uh, commercials. You know, license deals with a large portion of my catalog and and everything. So I'm. Technically in it, but not in it from right. the standpoint of developing. Breaking acts. Yeah, you know, my last act I discovered and developed and broke was Pitbull. And, and look at him now. Yeah, and I'm proud look of him. Look at Pitbull that's, that's right now, son. man. That's my little natural son. And yeah. you talked about how how raw he was. Yeah, yeah. Braids in his hair and just like. Yeah, that was a street dude. For street real. dude. Look at him right now, Yeah, man. And, that's what, and that's why I tell people all the time, man. Uh, the dudes who, who talking that hard shit didn't live that life. The guys who talk about partying and having fun. Those you, are the ones. Them the ones you better watch out for. <laughs> yeah, watch out for Pitbull, yeah, right? that dude there. <laughs> Don't sleep on Pitbull. That dude there, you know, I, you know, I went in a strip club one day and dudes, some Chico dudes talking shit, man. Fucking Pitbull, corny, this, corny. I'm like, yo, bro. He will eat your food. Man. That man will, first, he will beat you and then he will kill you lyrically. He, <laughs> he, he was a battle rapper. Yes, yes. I mean, one of the most. I hear that, yes. Around there, like he would break you down for the lowest terms, you know, and the stuff I took him through, you know, and I talk about in the book, yep. the stuff I took him through was hardcore. Yep. Well, the average person couldn't go through it. Luke, listen, man, this has been such an honor. Um, I, I, Internet, I really, really love this book, man. How how do you feel about this book? Like, how is the, pro the creative process, man? I, man, I, let me tell you, I feel... I've always felt like I was the Rodney Dangerfield of of the music industry. I never got credit right. or props for anything. I never I get no respect. I never got no respect. Yeah. None. You know, and so this book is is this book relieves me of that. Because before I was sitting there waiting for the Grammys to knock on my door one day and say, We're gonna give you Except a lifetime you. achievement award. I was waiting on BT, we're gonna give you a lifetime achievement award. I was waiting on MTV. I was waiting on VH1, all these, the hip hop, all, all of that. People, the, the, you know, the, the say, listen, the tastemakers. Yeah, listen. This is what this is what this dude set. 
you know, for and then I was like, okay, well, you know what? They're going to do that shit when I'm dead, like they do everybody else. Then they're going to give them their respect. You know, I'm like, no. Can't wait. You know, I, no, we, we're not doing that. I say, I got to do this book while I'm God got me here. You know, I'm going to do this book, and I'll, I'll tell the story that nobody wants to tell. You know what I'm saying? Because they want to crown everybody else. I'm going to tell who's, who started hip-hop in the South. And you're not afraid of naming names in the book, which I no, really like. No. I really a, like the fact it, that... It's some names they told me, oh, <laughs> you know, they, they the lawyers for, you know, for Harper Collins was like, no, you can't say their name. You can't say this name and say that name. I'm like, fuck them. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Oh, Let them sue me. Like, yeah, like, they were like, no, you can get sued right here. So I, you know, I had no problem with right, that. You right. know, and I, you know, because again, these guys... Don't like me. Mm-hmm. The Stephen Hills and all them other world, they don't like me. And they me. never will. And no matter what you do. You know, never, they never will. So, right. and you know, so if I, I, it'll be a cold day in hell before they honor me, yep. you know, for the things that I've done for this music business and the achievement, even, even, even my, even having a, a youth program and saving lives. You know, they wouldn't, you know, you don't know. I put, you know, uh, I have a, Half a billion dollars worth of kids in school every day, mm. opening up uh, six point five million dollars youth centers. This is what I do right. on a daily basis. Right. They know this, right? They ain't blind to this. You know what I'm saying? So again, I'm like, Luke, you're gonna have to do a book. So when I did this book, I say, now nah, this book, they ain't got to, they ain't gotta say shit to me. Yeah. Right now, I feel like the world now could get the real story. The world could now find out who started guerrilla marketing. It wasn't Steve Rifkin. They crowned him. Mm. You know, who started hip-hop? Who created the parental advisory sticker? Who, uh, who did the things to allow uh, uh, Lil Wayne to be able to cuss and all this on the record and all these all these parodies and who if, if who it opened up the South who opened up uh, who you opened know, up the strip clubs who changed the whole game right. uh, of the music industry you know what I'm saying so you get to read this in the book and now it all comes together you know like I say every hip every one of these young hip hop artists right now today they need they need to be the first one to go get the book yep especially the ones yep. in the South yep. You know, because they can then get a clear understanding of the business and how the business, how ruthless it is, and and use it as an educational tool. You called it, man. You called the South years ago. Hey, you, you remember call, that at New call, Music you, Seminar? You call, you, yeah, the New Music Who Seminar. Who was it? Hank Shockley. Hank Shockley was like, "Yo, get the yo, what, what happened? This, yeah. this, this is the last thing we're gonna talk about. What happened? What was they saying, man?" Yeah, I was at the New Music Seminar and they had this hip hop panel and it was like thousand people in there. Did I put this in the book? It's in the book. Yeah, I put it in the book. It was. Thousand people and they were sitting there and yeah, that shit is a fad. That South is a fad. Side, Hank Shockley said the South Southern music is a fad and it's gonna go away and it's gonna go away. And then what'd you do? And I I was sitting there, you know, because I'm just there, you know, vibing. I'm trying to learn stuff, you know. I'm going to different panels to learn stuff. And when Buddy said that, I was like. You know, I got that twitching in and the urge. And I'm like, should I just let this shit ride? And I'm like, yo, fuck that. Yo, hold on. This is Uncle Luke. This is Luther Campbell. That's bullshit. I just sold a half a million records. You think this shit is fad? The South will rule all of hip hop. Mark day. my words. Mark my words. 2015. Because we are bigger than everything else. Mm-hmm. We are bigger than LA and we're bigger than New York mm-hmm. because we have North Carolina, South Carolina, Atlanta. You know, we have this and we got the Southwest. 
I say it ain't it ain't nothing that I'm saying, but I'm just saying the facts. The facts that the, the when you break down the map, it's bigger. It's bigger. So we're going to eventually rule the whole shit. That's crazy, man. And Buddy was like, "Oh, that's bullshit." <laughs> You ever yeah. call him up on that, man? No. You should, man. Well, he'll read the book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, his kids will get it. Yeah. I'm pretty sure his kids be like, damn, dad, you said, you fuck with Uncle Luke. Are you serious? <laughs> yo, yo, Luke, man, I could keep you here forever, man. Uh, Internets, the book is The Book of Luke, uh, My Fight for Truth, Justice, and Liberty City. It's an amazing read. I've read a lot of celebrity books. I got to say, this is probably the best one that's written. Uncle Luke, I got to thank you for all your contributions and, and, and even opening up my eyes. I was one of them cats from New York that was like, ah, oh, fuck them. Yeah, fuck the yeah. two live crew. That's not real hip hop. But you know, as you get older, you know, I look back and I look at cats like you or, or another cat that we hated on was Hammer. Yeah. And, and, mm. and now I'm like, Hammer's such you a legend. You read the part about him. Yeah. <laughs> Hammer's such a legend to me right yeah, now. Yeah. You're such a legend to me, man. And, and. You know, to even go against the grain of what's, po- what's the popular opinion, man, takes so much courage, man. So I appreciate you. Last question. Looking back at the at the at the swag back in the day, the 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 Miami starter jacket, mm-hmm. the green and the and the orange, yeah, and then you switched it up to the Georgetown. Yeah, right. Which which one? AI. Which, when AI tore up that fucking bowling alley, yeah, I was yeah. like, "That's my nigga." <laughs> which one would you wear today, man? Which? Oh, Miami. Miami. No question. Good answer. Hurricane. Hurricane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm Hurricane. I'm yeah, yeah. Hard. yeah. Came for life. Well, Uncle Luke, man, I thank you again, man. Anytime, anything you want to sell, come back to the Combat Jack Show, and I wish you the most success. We're gonna do our best to make this a bestseller, New York Times bestseller. The best to you, my dude. Hey, man, I appreciate it. Yes, thank sir. you for having me. Thank, thank you. y'all for having me. Thank you, Pete. Man, I, I wish I was just here for more of this. Yeah. But, uh, you know, your story is legendary. And, and, like, I definitely appreciate all the contributions. But more so, I always believed in 2 Live Crew because they were, like, just from that, they were, like, the party. You, you liked them back in the day? Of course, they were the party igniters. It was a, it was a white boy in you. It was, first of all, I'm a Italian. Boy. Yeah, but it was, I never it was hung Italian out with no fucking uh, uh, people like that. Okay? <laughs> I'm tra- yo, for real, though. Yeah, let's get some pussy. Yeah, of course, girls would get up, and, and yo, you would ignite it. Your soundtrack, your contribution was the igniter of getting <laughs> pussy back then. That's right. I'll tell you one the record on. I did get some pussy off of Doodle Brown. Face down, ass see? up. I, I yeah. did get oh, some pussy you, off of Doodle Brown. See, you didn't know. You were getting, y'all was getting lap dances. Because it used to be funny to me when I would come to New York and L.A. You can't and touch the, people you can't dancing touch the girls. Off of, uh, off of Doodle Brown. Then the girls, they play at the end of the night. The girls bend over and the guys stand up behind the girls. It is like they trying to hold on to a wild animal. <laughs> Beautiful thing. I'll tell you one thing. If you could merchandise a car freshener to send pussy, what would it smell like? Oh, man. Ooh, I guess. Uh, Mangoes and oatmeal? Mm. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, that's a weird that's ass a good qu- one. That's a weird That's ass. not a weird question because think about it, man. Won't you create a, stri- a scratch? We should, yeah, that'd be nice. Y'all, y'all need to collaborate, man. Yeah, that'd be nice. Think about it. Like uh, hanging from a car, car fresh. What scent you have? Not vanilla aroma, not leather, new car. not pine, new not car. new car scent. Pussy. Oh, no. Your car smell like pussy? Yeah. Well, just, I guess, I guess, uh, no, bad pussy smell like fish. Bad pussy, yeah, like a bad fish. Yeah, uh, Fresh uh, fish. Sushi. Just, I'd have to smell like sushi with a little ginger in it. Yeah. Yo, we, we going on a tangent, man. Uncle yeah. Luke, man, thank you. Internets, you know what it is, man. Live those dreams. Dream those dreams and then man up and live those dreams because a life without dreams is black and white and the universe flows in technicolor and surround sound. Blah. Wow. My man. Numenati!
Attention, 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 please. This is a public service announcement. The Weekly Drop will now be a Combat Jack Show app exclusive. Make sure you download the Combat Jack Show app on iTunes, Google, you know what I mean, and you get that Weekly Drop. Now we got a special treat for you guys, the new segment called Premium Pete's Rant of the Week. Into motherfucking nets. This is Premium Pete's Rant of the Week. And this Rant of the Week, or this Week of the Rant, or this whatever the fuck, and Jonathan, I'm going to have to edit that. This rant of the week is, you know what it is? It's time, my friends. It's cuffing season time. So I'm telling you right now, you get off that little fucking couple of loads you got left, okay? You bang your cousin. You bang your sister's friend. Uh, you bring your, your your wife's friend, okay? You bring your next-door neighbor. Oh, my God, the next-door neighbor is so beautiful because all you got to do is, like, walk the dog, and next thing you know, you fucking slide up in the house like a daily newspaper. Listen to me, okay, Internets? I'm telling you right now, this is the start of cuffing season. So, like I said, get out your fucks out the way, and don't be a fucking pussy, okay? And get ready for winter. Get ready to binge on Seinfeld episodes and Martin, okay? Get ready to lay up in the house and eat fucking bonbons, okay? Get up and get up and wife a, a, a good lady and hang out with her and cook some fucking uh, uh, tilapia and fucking broccoli and, and fried rice. Listen, let me explain something to you. My man King is thinking about entering cuffing season, uh, the whole summer, he's been waiting to nail a bitch real hard, okay? Um, he I'll be honest with you. I really feel bad for the next person that A-King has sex with because he's going to knock him through the fucking like Like, they're going to literally go right through the sheetrock in the room. But for now, I will say this. Don't be like King because he wants to stay out here and he wants to just, uh, you know, let me explain something to you. What is life if you're not going to share it with someone you care about, okay? Cuffing season is upon us. Hallmark, reach out to me, Okay? If you love somebody, if you care about somebody, cuff them up. Get ready for Christmas. Get ready for Thanksgiving. Get ready for Halloween. And stay with that special someone. Go to the movies. You know, they got these movies in Jersey now. They have the reclining seats. They're fucking beautiful. Okay? I put one hand on my lady. I hold the hand. The other hand, I put in my pants. Okay? I get the popcorn. I rip out the bottom of my popcorn. I put my dick in there. Okay? And I say, listen, if you want me to butter your fucking popcorn... Anytime I do that for you. Get fucking juju beans. Get snow caps. Get sour patch kids. Get whatever the fuck you want. But cuffing season is more than that. In the winter, think about it, King. Let me explain. You have snowball fights. You throw each other in the snow. Not the yellow snow. You go to the movies. Right? Think about it. Hear me out. You go out to eat. Cuffing season is upon us, internets. That means, like I told you before, once again... You get all the jism out of your fucking penis and all the girls. You get all the fuck shit you want. Don't go. Let me tell you something. Don't be with someone if you're going to fucking fuck around on them. Okay. If you're going to fuck around, stay single. If you're going to be with someone, then like I said, get ready for the movies, the popcorn, the cooking and everything. Okay. Internets. This is my rant of the week. Cuffing season is upon us. Find someone you love and cuff that bitch up. Don't fuck that bitch up. Cheer. This episode of the Combat Jack Show was produced by Jonathan Mena, executive produced by A. King and Chris Morrow, engineered by Samir Karan, and recorded in the Engine Room Audio Studio in downtown Manhattan. This is an official Loudspeakers Network's production.